Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. It'll change then, but that's nearly a week away. Like the Red Tops love weather stories. Like the Mirror this morning says, sizzle in the sun, toasty Ireland, leave Spain in the shade. Tell you more about the Spanish weather a little later on, but they're saying, break out the barbecue. I'd say there'd be a run on steaks and jumbo sausages and bun burgers and all sorts of stuff in the coming days and across the weekend. And why not? Why not, indeed? Whether it's a balcony or a back garden, make the most of it. Fuel's up, food's up, sun's up. It's a front page in the mirror today. The only positive there is the sun is up because the other parts of it include the possibility of fuel rationing, sky-high food prices. If the Ukraine war continues, it'll only get worse. But the bright side of it is the mercury is up as well. But the mirror picks up on uh, fuel rationing possibilities. When was the last time? I mean, I certainly remember the back of the 70s and the early 80s, fuel rationing and queues and queues and queues at petrol stations. I remember at the time we were quite young and driving first cars and what have you. And everybody wanted to know a nurse because the nurses at the time and possibly doctors as well. But I recall nurses uh, got special dispensation and were able to fill up their uh, tanks. Maybe it was because they were uh, medically, um, you know, needed more so than the rest of us. So everybody needed a nurse um, or had had to have a nurse drive their car into the petrol station to get a fill. Other than that, you were queuing and queuing and only got small amounts. But um, I know it's no laughing matter because at the same time, a lot of people are down to masks, particularly uh, moving around the workplace uh, like us here. So uh, nearly 24,000 new cases reported according to the examiner this morning, and that's from just yesterday alone. Uh, now, intensive care numbers are up as well from 49 to 61. So that's a bit of a jump. And COVID cases in hospital, combining those that went in with COVID, but primarily all of those that went in with an illness and tested positive for COVID, brings the figure to 1,338. So uh, nearly 24,000 yesterday. In fact, that's why uh, Luke O'Neill is saying that this new variant of uh, COVID is sweeping up everyone who didn't get Omicron. So if you didn't get Omicron, he's saying it's almost impossible to escape this variant uh, of COVID. But you know what? Um, what can you do? We just got to keep the, you know, the spirits up and put the best foot forward because price hikes continue. Not just fuel, but also foodstuffs. And uh, they're talking about it in The Independent this morning as being at a 40-year high. So we're looking at, um, you know, inflation levels back to uh, the 1980s. In fact, I think we're heading for 7% and it probably will continue continue to rise. You can remember when inflation was only some years back, zero or just somewhere between 1% and 2%. But one of the issues then has to do with farmers because, you know, food is one thing, but that's for human beings. And with regards to then animal feed, that becomes a bigger issue. And I know I spoke to farmers on this topic about a fortnight ago. It's just got worse and worse. So there could be a shortage or they could run out of uh, food uh, for animals, as in animal feed. And that could wipe out farmers and wipe out farms. So it's pretty dire uh, where you could see more and more farmers out of work. Um, on top of all of that, of course, as well, you also have issues regarding building supplies and people who um, are either building a house or want to get work done or anything like that. All of those costs have gone right through the roof as well. In fact, a lot of people are slow to even quote for a job unless they're starting the job fairly rapido because by the time they quote and start the job 
the distance between the two times means that the quote is out of date. Uh, but still, we're not looking at restrictions. And that's a front page of making the Irish Times, not the reintroduction of any of the draconian COVID restrictions that we did have. There are other news stories, of course. Some of them are quite local. And there's the story of Carmel Cantwell, uh, whose brother died soon after birth at Besborough's mother and baby home. She's got in touch with all city councillors now. It's own English story in the Examiner. And she wants them to make the protection zone at Besborough bigger and to create a public park bigger in memory of the women and babies who lived and died at Besborough. Now, I've always been concerned about this because in a very old map down there, going back to the 1950s, an ordnance survey map, if you've ever seen it, there is an area on this map that identifies and it's named as children's burial site. Uh, But yet we don't know what's beneath the ground. Uh, But the burial place of 859 children associated with Besborough has never been found. Uh, So that that story always intrigues me, it really does, because it's an unsolved mystery and, and it's actually a disgrace in our midst that never actually has gone away or been properly investigated or indeed uh, resolved. And there's another story then, you know, we hear of handbags at dawn or handbags flying. It's more like shopping bags are flying uh, down Douglas Way, which is, you know, my, my parish. But I don't know how many shopping centres or major retailers we actually need in Douglas. We've already got a Tesco. We've already got a Dunn's. We've already got an Aldi. Um, but it seems as if you get, what well, is like buses. You get one, you get them all. They all tend to want to, you know, build and trade next to each other so they're not lonely. So Lidl is the next one now. And I know that local councillors are very annoyed about uh, the planning permission that's been given for the, the big new supermarket and apartments. It's at the roundabout there. You, you, you couldn't miss it. It's a big bank of vacant lands. It's been vacant for years and years. And I mean, it's all very well for city councillors to be whinging and complaining now. But why didn't they buy it when they had an opportunity to do it and turned it into this green site or this green area when they had the plans? I mean, there's no point whinging now when somebody comes along, buys it and wants to put up a supermarket. Um, it's just there in the roundabout, you know, as you're, like you can head into... It's not actually too far from the entrance of Aldi itself and, you know, McDonald's and across the road from uh, from Douglas Court. Uh, a man who uh, wouldn't be short of a few bob to go out and do a bit of shopping is, of course, uh, Mad Vlad Putin. And the sun this morning drills into him in quite some detail. And they, and they show us all of the photographs, particularly of his floating palace, this enormous ship that he's got. I mean, ginormous. He's, got, he's a gold-plated monster and he lies about the money that he has because he actually does own a 600 million euro yacht. But what intrigued me at the weekend was that he made some speech to the Russian people claiming like to only own a, a flat in, in Russia and to be you know, you know not, not well off in any way, shape or form. But he was wearing a 10,000 euro coat, apparently, according to the Telegraph on Saturday. A 10 grand coat. And then, for everybody else that works for a living, you're working from home? Are you back in the office? Is it a bit of a hybrid? Have you got the work-life balance sorted? Well, if you're working from home, it seems as if you certainly have because they surveyed, how many was it again? I think it was about 1,500 people uh, uh, just ahead of Sunday's second anniversary of lockdown. And they found that um, men get tired faster than women. Um, But women get You know, fairly snoozy as well, working from home. So here's what they found from the 1500. Staff working at home love a crafty kip. Napping on the job three times a week. Um, They also browse social media nine times every working day and message friends and families eight times a day. And across the working week, working from home, they also like to watch four episodes of their favourite TV show, have four walks and like to read books and magazines. Meanwhile, they say, or at least 45% of them claim to be more productive at home.
If you're reading books and texting and napping and watching television and are more productive at home, what in the name of God were you doing in the office? I mean, what was all the... Maybe it was all office banter. But they also drill into it a little bit more. So 82% consider their work-life better, balance better, working at home. Well, you would do. You would do if you were having naps. I mean, some people think that a nap is great. Just maybe 40 wings, 20 minutes, half an hour. I, I find that if I ever have a nap, I'm wrecked for the rest of the day. I never actually recover from it at all. But cutting out on the commute was the big plus for people working from home. Just shading, uh, wearing comfy clothes, um, including pyjamas. And apparently they also confessed that they take a 34-minute lunch break, which is way too short. You should be like the Spanish Take three-hour lunch breaks. But that involves going to your lunch at two, coming back again to work at five, and work until eight. So loafing from home, I love that story. And there's a lots of mammy stories in the papers today. And, of course, we'll start on our mammy stories tomorrow and Friday because we'll be giving away loads of flowers, courtesy of ourselves and uh, Shandon Flowers, as always. But the big question is, what do you call your mam, your mammy, your mum, your mumsy? Apparently, here in Cork... Um, like 31% of people across Ireland call their mother ma'am. But on Lee's side, it's 38%, right? So we call ma'am ma'am more than any other county in Ireland. So you can either call her ma'am or mum or mummy or mumsy. But what about those that call their mother or father by their Christian names? I mean, that should be completely outlawed, shouldn't it? You should not be allowed to call your ma'am and dad by their first name. It's just way too personal and way too uh, weird for me anyway. No, you think about it. Uh, But this age-old nationwide debate apparently has finally been solved. The most popular term uh, for your mother is ma'am. But they also talk about the sins of the mum this morning. You know, the things that mums confess to on a weekly basis that uh, they carry out. Um, Particularly when it comes to their kids, they've admitted to um, raiding their sweets They've admitted to raiding their children's peggy bank when they need money. But the one that I love, actually, is using Google to cheat on homework. And the most relevant one in our house, most definitely, is lying about the length of a walk. Because not only is it done in our home to my son and my daughter, ah, it's not all that far. It's only 15 minutes. Ah, no, no, it's only half an hour. I'm lied to as well all the time on country walks. I'm told exactly that. Ah, you'd be grand. We'd be back again in an hour. Three hours later, we're still walking. The Neil Prenderville Show. Anyway, text 0868104106 if you want to share any mammyisms, And we'll be drilling into that and lots more to do with mammy tomorrow as we head into um, Mother's Day uh, this weekend. Um, I also will hopefully be revisiting uh, the incredible weather we're getting a little later on to find out is this a freak of nature or why is it happening in the month of March. But more on that. We take it all day long, wouldn't we? But uh, does it have anything to do with climate warming? I know. I don't want to be putting a downer on it. It's great. And we've got blue skies outside the door, and that's a wonderful thing. Yesterday, I ran out of time in my conversation with Christine O'Donnell, Joe Driscoll, and I did promise to come back uh, and to finish that conversation. On three different occasions, she was in the A&D at the Mercy she, because she had suicidal thoughts. The first time, she had taken an overdose of tablets. Um, and then, um, after numerous hours, she was sent away. In fact, on one visit to the uh, A&D, uh, at the mercy, she left the hospital in her pajamas and walked down through the city centre, got a taxi and went home. Uh, she rejoins me by phone. Christine, good morning. Hi, good morning. I was just you? recapping on parts of our conversation from yesterday, but thank you. Um, 
Can I just ask you, you know, you're in your mid you're in your mid 20s now, but mm. when did you start to be was it was it like deep bouts of depression? Was would be yes. gone in your teens? Yeah, I look I say I'm kind of looking back on it now maybe um kind of 16 17 is when I I really started to notice that there was something wrong, you know, and I, I probably started to go to the doctor about um about the depression and and my my moods and stuff like that around then I'd say uh, it could have even started a lot earlier on than that but I just remember that being when I kind of said right this is kind of um this is a problem for me like, you know. And it, was it was it mood chains and depression for no particular identifiable reasons? Yes, as far as I'm aware, like, like I, I have had um, certain events happen in my life, but like these, the, um, I could go through bouts, but then, like, I, I do remember back when I was like 17 or something, I, I, I started to feel what hopelessness was for the first time. You know what I mean? And um, that was kind of that could last a couple of weeks, and like even trying to leave my room and everything was just a, a very big task and. Um, yeah, I, I was just very confused about it all. Like, like a couple of um, situations happened in school then that I just, I'd kind of break down, you know, and I'd have like a panic attack and I I've came home on a couple of, of occasions and stuff like that, you know. And, but was there any kind of medical assessment to see if you could be helped? Um... Not really. Like um, there was kind of talks, but like the, I think every time I've been seen by someone, um, which hasn't been too often, um, besides my doctor, they've said like, "Have you ever been in contact with the psychiatry team?" Like, and I, I always say, "No." And I'm supposed to go that go, go that bit further, but it, it never had. had so no counselling, no cognitive behavioural therapy, nothing like that. Nothing like that. I've, I have, I did see a counsellor, um, a couple of counsellors, but very briefly, um, I, I, you know, and it just kind of, it just didn't work out. Um, that was kind of, to, privately I did that. You paid for it yourself, yeah. 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 And do you find it very difficult to see the positives in life? Um, and look, I don't. Um, it, um, Overall, but just when I'm when I'm in that headspace, yeah. um, I, 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 it's, it's very difficult, you know. And I, I try, and I, I have so much great support, you know, friends and family wise, you know. And I'm very lucky to have them. But um, when I am in that headspace, it's very, it's very, very difficult to see any any bright side of life, like, you know. Do you get through school? Do you get through college? Rather than that? working, where are you at with all that? Yeah, well, I am. Um, I. I got through school. I did try to leave and I had fantastic support. Um, my history teacher and my guidance counsellor actually slowly got me kind of back into school when I decided I wasn't going to um, continue on. And that was in, I think, fifth or sixth year. And he got me in and he said, look, just do your history project, you know. And, and then eventually he got me back into all the classes. And I passed that, like nothing with flying colours or anything. But um, I passed and I was satisfied with that. And I yeah. kind of went on to do a couple of tax and stuff like that. And I've been working. Um, I've had a lot of jobs. To be honest, yeah, I've um, I, I get um, uh, very bad in jobs as well. Like if I don't gel with people and stuff, like I I, I really the stress and anxiety I put I put on myself over that, and I end up leaving and you know not really sticking to one thing. And Are you kind of shy and withdrawn? Then uh, you know I, I'm not. I'm not. No, that's like I'm. I'm quite an extroverted person. Like I'm. I'm the type of person out of my kind of friends and family group that would talk to absolutely anybody. Yeah. But when it comes to when it comes to kind of the real the real stuff, then you know, and I'm kind of forced to kind of be with someone or something like that. I'm very um I'm very withdrawn and isolated. Then I I tend to kind of be like a, a lone 
a lone soldier kind of way as in like I'll come and I'll come by myself and I'll leave by myself and yeah. I'm happy to be there when it's on my own terms but I, I just really struggle to um, kind of be in an environment where I'm kind of stuck you know that kind of You're way. a loner like yeah, kind of. With, yeah. Alone or with a lot of friends. Yeah, like, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You're okay with the light stuff and the fluffy stuff, but anything yeah. further than that, the barriers come down, the shutters come yeah. down. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, like, would, would you do you socialise? Would you ever do you go on sun holidays with friends? Just curious as to you know how much enjoyment you're getting out of your life. Um, like I would, but I, I mean, I, I was in Australia. Um, uh, just before the pandemic and um, I came home because I was kind of on my own over there and I, I wasn't really coping very well you know I was uh, I was um, I was just in mad weird hostels by myself and I, like I just didn't really feel that I was enjoying it at all like you know and I was just going from one place to another Did you go on your I, own? I know I went with a friend but we separated because she kind of wanted we wanted to do kind of different things but yeah. that was that was neutral like that was yeah. fine Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But I, I do, like, I struggle with those kind of things, you know, like, um, as I said, even in the groups over there doing the, the farm work and all, I'd, I'd kind of go to my room myself and I'd come out and I'd join them for a period of time and then I'd move on. I'd never really bond with anybody too much because I just, I just, I, I was in Cape, I am in Cape. I know, a yeah, I know. Like, I have, a, I have a daughter around your age, just a little bit older, but do your mum and dad worry? Uh, well, my, yeah, my mom, my mom's crippled with worry the way, the way I have been um, the last while. Anyway, because I'm, I'm very, um, uh, I don't know, unpredictable. I suppose she doesn't know um, what from one month to the next what way. Because sometimes I'm okay, but then when I'm bad, I'm very bad. Like you know. Yeah, um, we have used a clinic in the past that have you know. They're, in fairness, they're very kind. They have said to me, if you ever feel that you talk with someone on air that could maybe deal we could deal with and, and, and chat with and maybe um, give us some counselling sessions, feel free to offer it. Um, is, is that something that you would take up on? Uh, yeah, it would be, yeah, that would be, that'd be good. It would, wouldn't it? Because, uh, mm. you know, the, the, the purpose of this conversation was that mental health supports in this country, you say is appalling. I agree with that. It's actually a yeah. shambles um, that somebody would walk in, be brought in by ambulance to a Cork hospital having taken an overdose of tablets and be sent home um, that's unforgivable, really. You know, it is. And even, even to add to that story, when I when I spoke to yesterday, my mom actually said to me, um, they rang um, the hospital um, after I left that, that time in my pajamas, and um, because my sister seen me on maps on Snapchat and that my phone was saying I was somewhere in Washington Street, and um, they rang the hospital because obviously I said my phone was after dying to see um, where I was, and the, the person on the phone told them that I was there, and which I wasn't, and then they, um, she said she ran back, she says no she's not there so they they went looking for me then and they didn't even have any idea whether I was at the hospital or not like it was, it was like you it was, Christine I mean you, you could have done anything to yourself had you uh, yeah. after you'd walked out of that hospital you know a hundred percent yeah yeah I mean it's just hard to believe mm. I mean is it, is it that chaotic or that busy or that short staffed that you know your your the seriousness of where you found yourself in was missed like that yeah, like, I mean, both times I've been up there now, um, it, it seemed quiet. There wasn't seemed to be too many people in the waiting room as such, you know. Not to say that there's not a lot going on behind the scenes, but there, there was just nothing there. In I, the know. Support I know, for the mental health I know, I know. Listen, because, um, you know, clearly your mother is, is very anxious and very worried, you know, because nobody wants you to have any more attempts on your life, you know. That's the most no. important thing, that, you know, that you can 
get help, get fixed if you like, so you can have a happier life because you should have a happy life and a long life ahead of you. But yeah, you know, that's not happening at the moment. So it would be good to fix that, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. And it would be good for you to try and see the positives in the life. Does you know, does a bright sunny day like this and the potential to have four or five nights, nice sunny days, does that does that lift your spirits? Um, look, n- not to be a Debbie Downer, but like I-, I can see in the long run that like it is possible for me to get well and stuff. But like even just to where I am at the moment now, I struggle. To, like the sun actually kind of scares me in a sense. Uh, it's it, that's where I'm, my head is kind of at because I'm thinking we're coming into summer. Like everybody's going to be happy and out and living and stuff like that. But I just don't feel like I'm ready for that at all. You I know? know, I know, I know. I I would hope with sitting down with professionals to talk all that through could make a huge difference to you, you know? It would, it would, yeah, definitely. You know, but, please, but please, you know, if you ever feel so bad and despairing again that you, you think about self-harm, you need to just straight away go and talk to your mother, you know? I know, I know. You I really know. do, and because I, her heart I, I, would be, it's, she's, she's, it's tough enough on her now, but could you imagine life without you? She would just I be know. in bits. I know, and like my, my friends and my family and my mom, they're all fantastic, and our relationship has changed even in the last couple of months. Like, even though I'm not in a great place uh, mentally, our relationship's changed in the fact that I'm a lot more open and honest about these Yes, things and keep that so. going, you know? Yeah. Absolutely keep yeah. that going. Let, let me make a couple of calls at midday, um, and I'll come back to you then with the possibility of, uh, and I hope it will happen, with hooking up with the counsellors just to sit down and chat through things. Are you on medication? Um, I am, yeah. But okay. um, we're, look, we're going looking at changing that as well. Just ah, yeah. So your GP, you say your GP is great. Your GP is yeah, great. He is, yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, all right. All right, okay. St- try and stay as positive as you can, or I'll be back in touch with you later, okay? I will. Thanks very much. Okay, Christine, look after yourself. Bye. You too. Bye now. Bye. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And so a selection of texts from yesterday's program uh, with regards to the parade and one particular display in the parade, which was the cross with all the different signs on it. Um, chap says, I also saw the cross at the parade. I was there as a gay man. I took no offense to what the cross said. It uh, spoke about sexual immorality. However, I did feel like it didn't fit well with the spirit and the theme of the parade. We spent long enough in lockdown going through hardship without being told we are sinners at our first parade back. Why not have a positive message? They also had another big up sign up saying, this is finished. Not sure what that meant at all. Maybe a call with the people who had this as part of their float would clear things up. I have no idea whose float it was. It's just, uh, I have no idea in the white earthly world. And on masks and COVID and what have you, you were asking the question, you know, should people mask up again? And I was making the point that some businesses have asked staff again uh, to wear masks moving around the offices or places of work. We should mask up for the sake of the old and the vulnerable. It won't kill anyone to wear a mask in retail and public transport spaces, but it may kill someone if you don't. So many selfish people out there try protecting the frail elderly parents uh, for two years and now we're back to this. People need to get on board. RTE scaremongering, they add the five-day numbers together. If you did that back at Christmas time, you'd have been talking about 120,000 over a five-day period. Please don't mention COVID, Neil. People in hospital are those who have been waiting for the past two years to get in. Remember pre-COVID, hundreds on beds waiting to be seen. Let's move on from Mary Lou. I don't think that that's um, the Sinn Féin Mary Lou. What's all this crap about Micheál Martin doing such a great job? 
just propaganda from this side of the Atlantic. And who thought up that leadership award? And for what? I'd love to know. That's referencing Nancy Pelosi, who was praising Mioha Martin to the rafters. Loads then on uh, refugees and issues involving Ukraine. What's happening in Ukraine is brutal, but this government just wants to look good on the international stage as usual. It's the same with climate issues, just wanting to look good. But dealing with their own stuff and their own problems is a long way off. John says, couldn't we use all the additional workforce with all the job vacancies if they're allowed to work? Yes, and they do want to work and would work. Uh, Send out a huge welcome to the Ukrainians arriving. I hope this hell that they're going through becomes a distant memory. Also, please send a message to all the Irish language fanatics to stop shoving the Irish language down our throats. (laughs) Where did that come from? Went from Ukrainians to the Irish language. The Irish language is a wonderful thing. We should all be trying to speak a few cupola fuckle. What's the big deal? Nobody's shoving it down your throat. It is our national language, after all. We want to keep it alive, don't we? Mind you, I recall 20 or 30 years ago thinking the very same way as you did. Is that dead language? Let it go. Now I look at it completely differently. Anyway, maybe that's the power of time. And speaking about time, massive reaction to what will you put down in your note, your time capsule that will be read in a hundred years time. So keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Bernice, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you today? Oh, well, I'm good, thank you, on this bright sunny morning. You enjoying the weather? I am. I love this weather. It just brings me alive. I think it brings everybody alive. I think it does. I think it does. We just feel better. Could you imagine living in Mediterranean climate all the time like this? Oh, I tell you, I'd be on there. I'd live for a hundred, I'd say. I think we're very brave because of the weather we have to put up with, you know? We should have the choice. We can't do anything about that. (laughs) Okay, I have a load of texts on this, but you know the time capsule or the note that you can put down on your senses? What will yours say? I say, what I would put down is how sad and lonely it was for people who lost their loved ones and were not able to be with them. You know, like when you lose your loved one, you, you, when you hold their hands, you talk to them. They don't leave this world alone. Nobody should leave this world alone. And they did. And for, and for people to go through that, I tell you, it'll take years for them to get over it. Okay. It's and terrible. are you are you feeling other people's pain or did you go through it yourself? other people's pain, pain and my aunt she was in the hospital for three months before she passed away and she cried every day for her daughter to come to see her every day like my mum used to be on the phone to her and she was saying why would they not leave her in I just want to see her I know you know, wouldn't we all be the in, same in a hospital yeah, it's, bed but it's, 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 wanting it's, to see our son or daughter nothing, yeah. absolutely there's nothing in this world can tell me that that was okay and what really annoyed me was the fact that they left television cameras and crews into the hospitals to film people dying alone when their loved ones weren't Now, that's very people. interesting because I recall that at the time way back where there were a couple of um, uh, hard-hitting television docs done by RT where they went into Dublin Hospital. Do you think that was invasive and wrong or do you think we needed oh. to see and drive home the message to us how serious it was. Which side? Well, I think I think people knew how serious it was. Let's be, let's be honest, like people knew I, how serious it was. But did people need to see a man singing to a lure from his memories of a childhood from a stranger that they played it for him? His like carer held his hand. Do you remember that? His carer held I his do. hand and sang to a lure. And he passed away there and then, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I loved one should be should have done that Neil. It's like it was great that someone was with him. He's one of the lucky ones, but like 
there's so many people that I know and listen to their stories, it would tear the heart out of you. Like, you know, woman, one woman said to me, like, she went for her dad into a suit and see him laid out and have people come and give their condolences, you know, to, to help along that journey of grief. And she said he was just print your coffin. She never saw him, never held his hand, didn't even know if it was him that they buried. That's the way she feels. You know, it's... Yours it's would be so a very many, sad message then, the people who died alone without sons and daughters of families, those that buried yeah. loved ones or parents in closed coffins. That's, that's a very sad message to be read it in is, But it's what people went through for the last two years. It's, you know, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. If you, if you were to sit down and had all these people in front of you, I tell you, go home a very sad person. Mm. Listen to their stories, mm. you know? And I mean, you've, you yourself had some people on that looked in the window and watched their, their, their loved one pass away. And there's no level that that's right. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing that can say, there's nothing that you or anyone could say to me, Neil, that that's the way it had to but be. Was, or, it, no. was it not necessary? Not at all, Neil. I don't believe it. It was. There's nothing will change my mind that anyone that left this world without their loved one beside them was right. Okay, okay, okay. And you will do that? You will write that? Oh, I will. I, I tell you, I will write all that. And, you know, whoever, if, if, if they ever read in a hundred years' time, I hope they'll never be allowed to happen again, that people will die alone. It's Thank just you. not right. Thank you, Bernice. Appreciate you taking the call. Have a good day. You good too. Evening. Here are some texts on time capsules. In my time capsule, I would say, are people still stupid to keep voting for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael? <laughs> Will there be a Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael? I love the funny ones and the quirky ones. That's right up there alongside uh, the guy who said yesterday, I put in my time capsule, have Mayo won the All-Ireland yet? And another fellow on the air says, I put in my time capsule, uh, is, the, is the convention centre built yet? Uh, whatever you write, Neil, you'd want to write it in Chinese. <laughs> Somebody else says, in a hundred years' time, um, when they open my message, it will be something along the lines of, um, I'll say in our time, we had the Muppet Show, as in Dal Aaron. So what you're saying is, in a hundred years' time, when they open your message, you'll say something like, Please try and get your hands on um, 150, 120 years ago, a TV show called The Muppet Show. Because exactly, that's exactly what our doll was like. Um, in 100 years' time, Manchester United will still be trying to win the Premiership one more time after spending trillions. Another one says, uh, I'll ask if the event centre is built yet. I love that. I would put down on my senses, did the Defence Forces ever get that pay rise? says Jenny in Blackrock. Um, another one says, I'd write down, imagine another 100 years of listening to Neil! Exclamation mark. Now, studying that now, I don't know actually whether that's a criticism or a compliment. <laughs> I'll try and stay positive and say it's a compliment. Um, will there be any Irish left here with the rates of migration and emigration to and from Ireland? Um, you know, like we need, to, we need to take these blinkers off, you know. We, we need people coming into our country. We all came from somewhere, you know. My ancestors go back to France, Alsace and France. I mean, should I be here? Should they have ever been allowed to be here? People are always moving. We can't have a closed country, like a closed island with nobody coming in to work or to live or to have children. It just makes no sense to me. So those that criticize migration, immigration, uh, I just don't get it. I mean, I, I do understand that it's sad to leave, to find sons and daughters having to leave the country for work. 
And I was talking on Monday about the fact that it's not for work anymore. It's just that they can't afford to live here anymore. Their jobs are probably good, but they can't afford rent and they can't afford housing. So keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Neil's got a new number. Call him now on 0818104106. Yeah, an interesting one here from the point of view of immigration uh, with regards to young people in Ireland. Once they graduate, Irish people leave Ireland for good to begin a new new life, never again to return to Ireland. Uh, this is the new Ireland that our government and our media have created. It's a kind of population replacement and it doesn't seem to be happening anywhere else in Europe. It's bad enough when radio presenters are being scripted to refer to St. Patrick's Day as Paddy's Day as a kind of a nod to our alcoholics. But it gets worse. TV coverage talks constantly about welcoming, identifying, inclusion, belief, integration. But alas, no one will talk about the exclusion of the many. We will never see a homeless Irish person walking in any St. Patrick's Day parade with their tent under their arm and a placard saying, I live here, I'm Irish, I'm homeless. Nor will we see those people being pushed in wheelchairs complaining about their exclusion. Nor will we see a group of the millions excluded from access to our crumbling health service march in a parade. How amazing that any mention of inclusivity will, of its nature, imply exclusivity in fact. But as usual, no one will discuss this ever. Remember, Neil, people decide to be offended by anything nowadays. Well, that's a superb text, but you know something? One of the reasons that I'm here is to talk about things like that and to hear those stories. Um, and of course, you know, when you call emergency services and ambulances, God only knows how far the ambulance has to come from. Just like to highlight the failure in our ambulance service. At 9am yesterday morning my dad's doctor rang 999 after he visited his GP after an operation. He found that the wound was badly infected. The doctor at 9 o'clock in the morning advised my dad to go home and wait for the ambulance. So at 9am GP makes a phone call to 999. The ambulance arrived at my dad's house at 3am the following morning. 19 hours waiting for an ambulance. It's an absolute joke. Yeah, it is a joke because you could go out to the CUH and find the ambulances and the paramedics parked up waiting to try and get their patients into a hospital. It makes absolutely uh, no sense. Um, I'm furious. Our own come first when it comes to helping people. And I have to say we are struggling. It's up to the government to speak up to the EU and say we cannot do all of this. Do all of what? Help people who are coming from war-torn countries? Will people stop blaming and giving out about wartime aid and the support the Ukrainian people are getting? You know, it's not their fault. Uh, blame the government for broken systems, direct provision, neglected housing, healthcare, public service not run properly. But please don't take it out on war refugees. This is Ukraine's equivalent to our Cromwell. Uh, I drive through Patrick Street three mornings a week between six and seven. And the amount of people sleeping in doorways breaks my heart. As much as I understand how soul-destroying the war is and the anguish of Ukrainian people, I just can't believe our government. They're giving people coming here, automatic social welfare and medical cards. We have been turned down numerous times for medical cards, as apparently our family earned too much. I'd love to know where all this money I'm supposed to have actually is, because I don't have it. Thank God we rarely need to see a doctor, but our youngest is almost 18. Uh, it still annoys me when we work to pay our way and struggle and pay with pay a mortgage uh, and just have just about enough to make it work. And there's reams of these, like reams of them. Uh, providing humanitarian efforts for Ukraine is admirable, yet providing zero efforts for Irish people is at least inappropriate. The government are only doing this to look good at an EU level. Uh, you need to pull people up on some of the stupid texts you read out. 
Only a few short years ago, you helped a man who was homeless get an apartment in East Cork. And after only a few months, he decided that way of living wasn't for him. And he went back living on the streets. Some people, Neil, just can't help themselves. Thank you for all of those. Uh, keep them coming. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on our new number 0818104106. One of the things that I mentioned earlier in the week was the price of food and the price of fuel and the price of rent and housing and things like that going through the roof. But I drilled in a little bit then um, by talking about um, chippers, actually. Uh, and I know we posted this on, on social media because the cost of your local chipper has gone up because they're paying more for potatoes and indeed they're paying more for oil. A lot of the oil apparently comes from, you know, Eastern Europe. And one of the articles I read said that it came from Russia. And so the cost of fish and chips has gone up. Now, I'm told that it's only a few cent on the bag of chips, but it got us thinking at the time as to the best chipper the best chips and stories like that. And I got reams of texts on it. Um, but I also wanted to get some calls on air. So let me just do that. Rowena, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. You have the Roma grill in y'all. Did we chat before? We probably did, I'd we, say. Yeah. I think I remember talking about the Roma grill in y'all. Can I ask you, where do your potatoes come from? My potatoes? Well, well my potatoes my the ones I get myself. Yeah. No, I and mean, I- as in the chipper that you eat in. Do you know where they come from? No, I actually don't. No, yeah. no. Yeah. Would you be surprised if you were to hear that they were from Spain or that they were from Italy or that they were from Ukraine? I Ukraine. Can just imagine. Um, anywhere else, probably, but besides Ireland, probably. <laughs> yeah. You would think that they would be Irish potatoes, wouldn't you? Yeah. I okay. hope, and uh, hopefully they, they would be. Okay. Okay. So the Roma Grill in Yall, you figure that you go from, from Moy to Yall yeah. for it, do you? Yeah. I would actually. We've, we've been down a couple of times now. Me and my partner actually have gone in there on a Sunday and got some chips or, you know, a breast box and gone to the beach and sat down and just ate it. But why or, would you have to go from Formoy? Well, it's just like they happen to be the, really one of the best around. If you really wanted to go out on a Sunday for say, a nice chip, uh, fish and chip, you want to go down to the beach, you want to go for a nice place, it would be there. Roma, the Roma always was, you know, because we have our local chippers here and, you know, they're, they're grand enough and basic, but, you know, you kind of want to change too. Yeah, would your local chippers have frozen chips? Uh, some of them do, but uh, one or two would have kind of basic, um, your, your ordinary homemade chips. Because wouldn't it be fair to say that no chipper should ever, no traditional chipper should ever serve a frozen chip? Oh, no. Or, or for that matter, no traditional chipper should ever serve chips in a plastic carton. Oh God, no! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. All right. So when you go to y'all, is it always fish and chips? Um, yeah, well, it's actually breast in a box. That's what we get. The um, very nice, actually, and they're very nice staff down there, and absolutely brilliant and fast, you know, and efficient. All right. Okay. And, um, okay. Cheap and enough too. All the, all their prices are. You probably would be paying a little bit more. Would that bother you? Well, it's three euros for their. The chips and then like basic but up here in our local town then it could be anywhere from 350 up you know for just the chip just the chips on their own yeah, yeah. and it's three euros down there okay you also had another couple besides the Roma Grill and y'all where were they oh yeah there's one in um, Tonicilty the chunky chip um, that's absolutely. very good yeah very nice yeah and um, Wharton's down in Bantry is another cracker down west I've never tried it now but there's a couple of places that are really good and if there's a restaurant as well called the Sweep in Kilmeden. And I know they're not chipper, but they're a restaurant, but they actually have um, lovely homemade chips. Divine chips, but not a chipper. 
but not a chip bar, but you're lying. <laughs> Only interested in the chippers. Oh, Actually, yes. there's a text from Angela that agrees. The Roma Grill and Yall is unreal. It um, is. And she also goes on to say, Dino's never disappoints, except they keep screwing up our order. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Dino's is good too. Yeah, yeah. you know, and a lot of other Angela. Angela's a real aficionado of chippers because then she goes on to talk about Murphy's and Blackpool and Lennox's and tasty snacks. So she's got oh, right, okay. five different chippers in there. But for you, it's the Roma Grill and y'all worth checking out. Yeah, I've been down. The, I've actually got on. We one day got on the motorbike and went down and just got chips and brought them back home and kept them warm on the tank. And we had them when we came home, just kind of heat them up in the oven. <laughs> They're not the same, though. No, no, they actually are. They're not. They're very nice. And they are. No, I no, no. I flies up the road. <laughs> no, you would have been better off just sitting down on the side of the road or on the footpath outside the chipper and just eating the chips and then getting back up on the bike. I know. I just had a craving one day and I said, you know what, I'll just get the chips and bring them home. <laughs> You're pregnant or anything, no? No, no. You got a craving for y'all chips. Yeah. And jumped up on the bike and from I went for them. Yeah, came Crazy back up the road with them. Even my partner's like, you did not do that, did you? You're unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, appreciate it. Thanks for taking the call. Um, we're Thanks. asking people to tell us about their best chippers. Well, primarily it's the best chips, to be quite honest with you. My daughter says Dino's. Anytime we're in Cork on holidays, it's not complete without a Dino's takeaway. We travel from the other side of the world where chippers don't exist, says Pamela. So I don't know where you are. That could be anywhere from Australia to America. The chip shop, Ballyclaw. Chips are yum and the menu is great. A great value too, says Trish. Down in Ross Carberry, they have Ross Carberry traditional fish and chips. By far the best. Uh, and then one or two more. I can't pass the door of this place without going in for a nice bag of chips. And the staff would have you come out in stitches sometimes with the crack that's going on in tasty snacks. Brian's the owner and would always look after people up in Gronerbraher, says Greg. So Tasty Snacks gets a vote. Lennox is on the Bandon Road, followed by Murphy's in Blackpool and the Wimpy in Formoy. Pity I didn't see that earlier on. I could have asked Rowena about the Wimpy in Formoy. Anthony says they're all amazing. Hands down, Tasty Snacks of the best chips, peas and curry. Yeah, but not all together. You'd have the chips with the peas or the chips with the curry, but not both, surely. Murphy's Chipper in Blackpool or the downtown in Mallow. The chips are amazing. The potato and cheese and onion pie is amazing, says Noel. Brian says, I don't care what anyone says, but a lot of places are starting to make portions very small. In my opinion, the best chips for value and taste has to be Murphy's Takeaway in Blackpool. Be sad to hear if the portions were getting smaller because the potatoes and the oil is getting dearer. I mean, I know it happens in some chippers. Like in, if you go to Lennox's, say, for instance, on the Bandon Road and you don't even order chips, you might order a couple of sausages or a couple of potato pies or whatever, they'll throw in a scoop for free. That's what I like. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number 0818-104-106. Chatting yesterday with uh, Sharon, who uh, is looking for a home and has been in the same house for 12 years. The landlord's been very helpful, but uh, she's got to go. Listen to your caller about her notice to leave the house. She doesn't have to leave the house until she's actually given a formal notice of termination. And that would be a minimum of 224 days notice. Then she could bring the notice to the council and they would uh, put her on the list. They can ask her to leave in four weeks. They can't just ask her to leave in four weeks because the landlord might have told her that verbally. It's written notice that needs to be given, says Sinead. Thank you for that. And on the cost of living, and we know we were talking about chips a little few minutes ago, but also we were talking about the price of a pint. I think it's like 8.30 for uh, a pint of Guinness in Temple Bar. Hoggies Bar, Blarney Street. 
pint of Guinness, three euro ninety before seven o'clock. Then after that, all pints are twenty cent extra. Great pub, great value. Uh, no Irish people would be found dead drinking in Temple Bar, Neil. Thank you for that. Well, you can count me amongst them anyway, that's for sure. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Finally, 100 years of the Irish Air Corps will be marked with the flyover of Dublin this morning. The anniversary is being celebrated with a special event at Casement Aerodrome in Baldonnell that will include the unveiling of a commemorative plaque. A number of aircraft will be seen taking to the skies above Dublin shortly before 11 o'clock. And that's the latest news this hour. It's an amazing story you mentioned that, actually, uh, 100 years ago, 1922, the formation of the Irish Air Corps, because my granduncle, Tim, was one of the original pilots in the Air Corps. Wow, were there many? I think there was only about four of them. Really? Yeah, yeah. and, oh the, and the planes were very, very basic planes at the time. And he died in, in his 20s when his plane crashed. Gosh, Neil, that's very sad. Yeah, yeah. Was amazing. he young? Yeah, I think he would have been maybe mid-20s kind of thing. Uh, we have photographs of him at home. I have I have all of his... He's got his medal, his, his Air Corps medal. Fantastic thing in a box. I've got his epaulets. Uh, I've got all of his, uh, his his uniform trappings, you know, that they have yeah, at the time. Yeah, that's and, uh, an amazing piece of history to have. It is, yeah. I often thought maybe that I might put them together and give them to the Air Corps and they could maybe keep them for a year and put them on display Just somewhere. display them. Yeah, you should. Yeah. You really he should. Went up and he, I mean, the planes were quite basic. There was very few of them. But apparently the story goes, and uh, he's buried in Glasnevin, but the story goes that he was up on a flight, um, a test flight, because really early days of the Air Corps. Yeah. Uh, and he came down and landed the plane and he went to his um, superiors uh, and said, there are issues with this plane. It's, it's not flying right. But by all accounts, I'm told by my dad that they sent him back up again um, because they wanted to show whomever was visiting the planes flying. So he went up, even though he had told them there was something he knew wrong with right, this plane. Yeah. And the plane crashed and he was killed. Oh my God, Neil. That's yeah. actually, it's tragic. It is a tragic story, but you have an amazing piece of yeah, history sitting in yeah. a box in your house. Yeah, well, yeah, I know, it's, uh, they're all there. I mean, I look at them often. And, uh, but it'd be uh, lovely to see them. I'm sure the Air Corps would be thrilled, especially with a 100 years anniversary No, you just now. reminded me of it there. Yeah. It's 100 years this year of the Irish Air Corps. I think it's a... Uh, a fabulous achievement. So you're right. I just said I'd mention it, but um, thank you. I had forgotten all no about problem that. problem at all. Delighted. Talk to you later. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. And indeed, tomorrow and on Friday, we've got some blooming, amazing giveaways for you in association with Shandon Flowers. And thank you to Stacey. We have uh, six huge, big bunches of flowers to give away. Big bouquets for Mother's Day. And I uh, might even start doing them tomorrow, but I certainly will be doing a lot of them on Friday. Now, Mother's Day is on Sunday. And to be in with a chance to win, you need to tell us about your mother and why she means the world to you and why she deserves a bouquet of flowers. And you can do that by text to 0868104106 or indeed you can do it by email to neil at redfm.ie and I'll drill into that tomorrow. Just because uh, I get all sorts of requests and stories. I love these kind of ones. Not your everyday email, Neil, and imagine, but I'm hoping the power of your radio show will reunite some poor crater with their false teeth says Ashling. I was out and about at a gig on Saturday night with a, with a few friends uh, when we were approached by a lady looking for her teeth on the dance floor. Long story short, after a collected attempt searching the dance floor by many people, they were never found. And we carried on about our night out. Until yesterday, I put my hand into my handbag and what was in the front pocket, only the false teeth. Absolutely bizarre, I know, and it's beyond me how in God's name they ended up in my bag. 
but I understand they can be quite expensive. So if I can reunite someone with their teeth after the weekend, it would only be lovely. Uh, I'll stay in the background if you don't mind, and I understand it could be a sensitive subject for someone too, but if by chance she's listening, I'll pass on my details to you and we can figure something out, says Ashling. Well, <laughs> if she is listening, um, then Ashling has your false teeth. How in the name of God they got from your mouth into Ashling's bag remains a mystery which we would love to solve. Um, but listen, don't let that stop you getting in touch. Don't be embarrassed. They're safe and they're all right. They're in one piece and Ashling wants to give them back to you. So text 0868104106 if that's you. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Okay, let me go back to my phone lines. One of the questions on the census has been raising um, some conversation and that is the uh, question as to what is your sex? There are only two options on it, male and female. And I've been noticing that not everybody is happy and they feel there should be more options like than that. And there's also people saying that there should be more options as well with regards to religion. But with regards to what sex Male, female. If you don't wish to put down male, female on the census, apparently, you have an option in your time capsule note to put down whatever you want. But I think they're saying that with regards to um, the sex options in the census and indeed the religious options in the census, that they can't change them because of some European Union um, uh, legislation. So they say their hands are tied in that regard. But this is a very interesting topic, actually, because earlier in the week then, uh, I also got um, uh, an email press release come in um, from uh, the countess.ie. I don't have it on my screen now. It's disappeared from the screen. But uh, it was just telling us about what the countess.ie is about and their beliefs and their fears and worries, I suppose, going forward. They have 10,000 people following them across all social media platforms. And their founder is Leisha De Bruyne and she joins me by phone. Lisa, Lisa, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm Grace. Thank you so much for having me on. And I'm mad keen to chat with you because this is very front and centre, particularly over the last few days now, because you might be aware of Leah Thomas, the swimmer, yeah, um, who made history uh, last Thursday night to become the first transgender woman to win a National Athletics Association swimming championship. Are you aware of that story? Oh, very well, of course, yes. Yeah. Um, so the Leah swimmer Tom- that used to be um, a mediocre male swimmer called Will. That's right. He was a male swimmer and swam as a male, uh, transitioned then, and now is swimming. But what was interesting was when Leah Thomas won the gold, the girl who won silver and bronze refused to stand next to Leah Thomas. And that was sending out a very strong message, I thought. Well, I felt very, very heartened to see those young women um, make a point, as they did on the podium, because, um, you know, we're hearing reports constantly that they're being gaslit, that there's team meetings, there's coach meetings, um, they've been told not to speak up, um, not to complain, and, you know, there's heartbreaking stories of parents whose girls have been training, and we all know how grueling that training schedule is to become, you know, a competitive swimmer. Yeah. And they're doing that all through their childhood and teens, then to really just to compete in a race in order to come second. The same, the same seems to be happening in athletics, doesn't it, and, and other sports. Do the girls feel that there is a, an, an unfair advantage because of testosterone, is it? I think, um, I mean, if you ask anyone on the street if the boys had an unfair advantage over girls, they'd say, of course they do. I mean, I find it remarkable that we even have to discuss this. It tells you how influential this ideology has become within the English-speaking world because 
um, we all know that we separate um, the sexes when it comes to sport and we do that because, yes, as you said, obviously, because um, male puberty just gives, bestows so much strength, power and speed um, and muscle mass to men. And But the thing is, I mean, it, we don't really need to discuss that do we because we all know that I mean it's just so yeah, obvious Yeah I know I mean I was reading up on it yesterday because World Athletics require transgender athletes to have low testosterone levels for at least 12 months before competing and there is HRT treatment that one goes through while transitioning that is, that is the case and you know it's, it's hugely controversial in America very much so they're talking about it in an awful lot not just sport but also serving in the military and indeed what bathrooms people should be allowed to use where do you come down on all of that your organisation um, well you may be aware that um, almost a year ago the Department of Education issued guidance to schools uh, which was in fact linked to uh, funding um, suggesting that all schools should uh, remove their single-sex toilets, secondary schools, this is, across Ireland, and replace them with um, mixed-sex toilets. And we uh, launched a campaign against this um, and tried to really empower parents in Ireland to be aware of their rights under the Education Act and under Bunrock the Heron and to get in touch with the schools and to make their voices heard. And, in fact, we did manage to have um, a bit of a victory with that one insofar as there has been a kind of a reverse of that decision, we hope. But the problem with this ideology is that it's um, really gotten a hold of society. And um, this is why we are where we are now, where something um, as vital as the census has really been um, dumbed, dumbed down to such an extent that um, prime data, you know, in terms of sex, um, will really essentially be destroyed because if you can tick both boxes and then that actual uh, piece of data is, is going to be randomly assigned, well then it just makes them off. Okay, so what will really the census, so explain then, what would the census do if somebody who identifies as neither male nor female ticks both? They, what they're saying is, the CSO is saying they'll randomly assign their sex. So not only in the first instance will people be ticking both, which is meaningless, because obviously that's not possible, everyone is male or female, but then beyond that, in order to try to compute that uh, I suppose their algorithms or whatever, whoever does that job, is just going to randomly assign a value anyway. So it achieves neither purpose. Mm, mm. Although I have spoken on air with people who do identify themselves as neither male nor female, and they live their life accordingly. Non-binary. They would be yeah. not. They would call themselves non-binary. Yes, and I do think you know more power to them. People should be allowed to uh, and empowered to express themselves and present however they wish. But when it comes to things like data and like sport, as we've just discussed, and like uh, single-sex provision of intimate spaces like toilets, sex does matter. One sex does matter in those scenarios. And I think what we're looking at as a society in Ireland now is we're waking up to the unintended consequences of self-ID, which was brought in in this country in 2015, very much under the radar, latched onto a very popular um, uh, law, which was marriage equality, which, you know, obviously people were behind, and that was a great step forward for us. But far less popular and, and therefore far less discussed was, the, was self-ID, which enables any man who wants to at any point fill out a form become a woman. And therefore access... And, uh, you, know, you, and you believe on that basis that any man can fill out any form and go through the treatment and become a woman. And that, you say no, there's then... There's no treatment, you see, Neil. You don't need to have any sort of hormone treatment or any... Um, the hormone treatment is, is for sport, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, no, I'm just in terms of like the legislation that we brought in in 2015. Um, you can fill out a form, and, and there's no safeguarding. So, the, so in other countries, there might be a panel of doctors and lawyers, and you might have to live um, in your preferred gender, whatever that means, you know, um, for two years. Yeah. Um, and there's some kind of gatekeeping vis-a-vis. Uh, you know, do you? For instance, like in Ireland, even if you're on remand for a sexual offence, you can still uh, transition. And by transition, I don't mean in any medical sense. Or not not surgery-wise, it's just transitioning yeah. and saying, I know, I now want to present as, as a woman or I now want to present as a man. As in, yes, as in but, but to the, going to the opposite sex. You think then that erodes women's rights? Well, I think, I think it absolutely does. And I think um, that's what... Um, people all around the world are realising now. I mean, I think, to be very honest with you, I think this was brought in very much from a place of compa- compassion. Um, and I fully, fully accept that. And that is my own belief. And, you know, that's to be applauded. But now when we step back and we look at the system that we've created, you know, rather than talking about um, sort of trans rights, it's better to sort of st- take a step back and look at the system. The system essentially allows any man at any point to access those spaces, those shortlists, those sports teams. Um, and, and therefore, of course, that will impact uh, women's rights and child safeguarding because, you know, women's rights, we don't have them very long. We had to fight very hard for them. And they are predicated on us being a definable, discrete class. So, you what know, do you mean by to, child safeguarding? Well, essentially, like, if you're using, um, you know, a woman's changing room, in um, a swimming pool and, you know, your eight-year-old child is um, getting dressed, let's say, or yes, whatever, yes, I'm with you, I'm if with a you. Man, if a man who identifies as a woman can access that space, then that, 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 that does present an issue. Okay, okay. Um, for example, there's real-life examples of this. So in California, which is one of the states in America, which has brought in what I kind of would term second-level Next level self-ID. So in Ireland, you can fill out a form and get a uh, certificate. But in um, certain states of Canada and California, it looks like we're, our government is trying to push us that direction. Um, you don't even need any certification. Um, you know, Now, having said there is no actual safeguard into that process in Ireland, there is actually a certification process, you know, per se. But in those specific states, you can just identify in under the equality legislation of those countries. And that's what this government is trying to do in our country. They're trying to change... So in America, you're saying already, or in some states... And I just need to be clear about yeah. this, because this, a lot of this is new to me. It's a very sensitive subject, incidentally, and big Absolutely, societal yeah. issues is attached to this for, for everybody. But in some states in America, a man who wishes to transition to a woman without surgery can present as a woman in woman's clothing and go into a woman's changing room where there are children. Yes, so there was a case... Um, but in Ireland, you can't do that. No, however, however, I think it's important that we're aware that um, there is a move on the part of the government to change the... Um, we have, we, under our equality legislation, there's a whole slew of different acts. We have an exemption based um, on sex, but it's described as gender, but it's mean, mean, to, mean, to mean sex. And what it means is if, there's, if the presence of someone of another gender could cause you embarrassment, it's the privacy exemption. But they're trying to change, um, essentially, that gender to mean gender identity. 
And once you do that, Gender, then yeah, that is a big difference. Yeah, an yeah. open door because yeah. it means that who, it's my 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 right to be in that separate space where I I am vulnerable. Let's say in a toilet or change room. Yes, that that right is not predicated on my biological sex. It's predicated on my identity. So therefore, a man at any point can come in and say, "Well, I." belong here i deserve to be here no one can stop me coming in here and they wouldn't be allowed to be stopped if this goes through under uh, equality legislation because the and you're saying potentially be, this could happen and people should be aware of this so but but even on that point alone there are two specific issues here one is a man who has transitioned to a woman believes to be a woman so has absolutely no there's no risk to anybody in that changing room or toilet other woman or child because that man who's transitioned to a woman believes to be a woman and what just wants to live their life, you know, independently in that space. Is the issue with somebody who might pretend to be transing but actually be a paedophile? So I think that um, if we think about safeguarding in terms of a system and then we look at what we have, um, I, you know, I think inadvertently, it's fair to say, done here, uh, you know, by trying to be kind and inclusive and by framing this in a way that, oh, this is a bit of admin to help a tiny fraction of people over there that has nothing to do with me. But really, when you step back, what we've done is eroded this whole system of safeguarding, which is pretty fundamental in society, really. Um, so, yes, I think I, I wouldn't say, um, you know, I'm, I think it's more so, firstly, in terms of definition, going back to what you just said a moment ago, you said um, if a man has transitioned, so by that, do you mean full surgery? No, 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 no. No, I mean, no, I wasn't even thinking about that because I've spoken to people on air who have trans but have had not had surgery. Some have had top surgery. Some have had none. Yes, you see, I think that's one of the issues that we find is that in the... And I've spoken to women who have trans to men who have had top surgery and had breasts removed, but I've also spoken yes. to women who have transitioned to men and wear strapping. Yeah, I've spoken to all of them. Yes, yes. Yes, so I think um, quite often when people think about transition, they think about full surgery, but that's not necessarily what that means at all anymore. You know, it could be, oh, today I feel like a woman and, you know, it's, it, it can be very fluid. So therefore that creates issues, you know, around how do we separate the sexes? Do we se so essentially the question we're faced with, do we separate, um, you know, our spaces, intimate spaces based on um, sex, biological sex or gender identity and if we go with gender identity how do we safeguard those spaces yeah, yeah, so going yeah, back to what yeah. happened in um, a real life example in california um a man um went into the women and girls section of this spa and exposed himself to women and an eight-year-old girl and there was uproar and the trans rights activist sort of said this woman was making it up initially and then when there was footage of her complaining oh she was a transphobe it turns out that man was a serial sex offender because why wouldn't he? You know, going back to, to answer your point about um, predators, like why why wouldn't they if they could? You know, have, if we've learned anything in this mm. country, it's that if we do um, have, you know, um, gaps in our safeguarding, the predators will, of course, use them. And you see a time when that will actually happen here in Ireland and it will be legal? I mean, at the moment, what's happening, for, for example, with Leah Thomas stateside, there's nothing to stop that happening in Ireland because we don't... Other countries that have brought in a self-ID have caveats regarding prison, regarding um, someone convicted or in remand for rape, you know. So they, they've got sort of sensible little um, caveats to self-ID. But in Ireland, we sort of, 
threw the baby out with the bathwater, really. We just thought this is this is a way to, uh, you know, become pioneering and a world leader. With, I know, but at the same time, don't, we, don't we have to have some compassion for people who do feel trapped and do want to change their lives and have a better life in that regard? Don't we have to Absolutely. help them? Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, I, I, I don't want to live in a society where they feel any oppression or face any discrimination whatsoever. And I think, you know... I want to live in a society where a man who wants to present for as a woman, you know, is allowed to do so. I just think we have to be sensible and we have to have a reasonable and measured conversation about the impact of self-ID on women and child sa- women's rights and child safeguarding. Because clearly, if any man at any point can identify in any space or on any sports team or shortlist, then of course that will impact those rights. Okay. Okay. Would your organisation be grounded then in the philosophy that you're born a man, you'll always be a man, you're born a woman, you're always biologically going to be a woman? Yes, I think... um, And is that very much along the lines of what J.K. Rowling was attempting to say? Yes, like I I think um, it's really important for people to come out and feel brave enough to speak truth to power because this is a very powerful ideology and Really, um, the point is, we all know this, you cannot change your sex. You can't, you know, sex is binary and it's immutable. Um, While, of course, I have all compassion for people who struggle with their um, gender identity and they should be supported and no one should face discrimination in terms of, you know, their workplace or um, housing or how they go about the day life. But sex does matter when it comes to things like changing rooms, like toilets, like sports. Yeah, yeah. And, and finally then, can I just ask you then, what about, you know, we're hearing an awful lot more about young people struggling now with their identity. It, it's it's a, like a form of gender dysphoria um, in, in the sense that they're, they're questioning more and, and of course they have more opportunities and options now. There are I don't know, there are dozens and dozens of different terms now that are being used that just don't include male and female anymore. According to healthline.com, there are 68 terms to describe gender identity expression. Is, is that causing confusion amongst young children? I think so, and I think we would be very concerned about resources that have been used um, in that regard in schools, um, like belong to and um, into LGBT teachers group of all um, sort of um, released resources that teachers use um, and they're used as sort of toolkits to teach young, young, very young children about gender identity. And, you know, it's quite clear that if you tell a small child that, uh, you know, as they do in, in terms of these resources, we've seen them, a girl can change into a boy. Firstly, that's not true. So why are the adults that I trust lying to me? And secondly, it's interfering actually with the natural development. There is a crucial, critical t- time when a child is developing where they need to understand that sex is constant and invariable and stable across time. So the, basically the basic kind of building blocks that if you're a boy, you'll become a, a, a man, and if you're a girl now, you're going to grow into a woman. And that is actually, you know, it's a critical developmental phase that we disrupt. But it could be life-saving was- for a child, and I've spoken to adults who, as children, had terrible sad lives because they didn't feel they fitted in. And some of those that I spoke to did go through full surgery and changed, okay, you say you can't biologically change the sex no. you're born, but they certainly changed with regards to surgery and were never happier. They were so happy afterwards. Well, like, to be honest with you, there's always been a cohort, um, typically um, always male, and um, normally it would present between ages two and four, where they would have what we now call gender dysphoria, which is like extreme distress in your sex body. 
and they typically would uh, fully transition. Um, and, but what we're seeing now is a complete different, uh, it's a whole different paradigm. You know, there's been an increase in um, of the number of teenage girls wanting to transition in the last 20 years. It's staggering. I'm going to read this, uh, read this slowly. 5,337% increase in young girls. Um, and these girls are typically where? You know, in their mid-teens. Where, where is that well, stat in, from? In, Ireland, in England, but and in America and Ireland, the data is all the same. It's all, it's, it's but that doesn't that huge. mean that f- there's been a 5,337% increase in helping people to be happy? Well, that is certainly what um, trans, you know, the gender identity ideolo- ideologists would Of course, because they're they're, 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 they don't think they're making it up, do you? Well, my answer to that would be, then where are all the late transitioning women? Where are all, where, where is the huge swathe of 50-year-old women who want to transition, who are finally free to be their true selves and become men? They don't exist. You know, mm. what has always existed in history, as we know, in the, in the Western world is young girls who are very, teenage girls in particular, they, they have this tendency to manifest communally to this like psychic distress and pain. Uh, sometimes, you know, in girls' schools, typically you have issues with bulimia, with cutting. You know, there's been historical issues with um, um, preponderance of, you know, fainting or hysteria. Like teenage girls, they, they're hyper um, empathetic with each other. And if they're struggling... That, that can really spread. And now in the dawn of the internet age, let's say, for example, to give an example, you, you, you're 14, you're unhappy, there's things going on at home, let's say there's a divorce happening, it's ugly, and you're a lesbian, but you don't want to come out as a lesbian because that's not really cool. And you go online and you type in, am I a lesbian? And you know what you get back? A deluge of trans ideology. Because it's not cool to be a lesbian anymore, but it's really cool to be non-binary. Who says it's not cool to be a lesbian anymore? That's the culture. That is the culture. And when one of our pillars, we have eight pillars, and if maybe um, if you have time, you can have a look at our website, but one of our pillars is the erasure of lesbians because they are the ones really at the, you know, um, being, being a role, a, 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 sort of caught in a pincer grip, essentially, by this movement. Because on one hand, you have young lesbians been told, you're not a lesbian, you're actually a trans man. And on the other hand, you've got older lesbians being um, pressurised to accept um, men who identify as women, so people with penises, into their dating pool. I have the eight pillars of concern. Single-sex provision, language, legislation, prisons, school and safeguarding, transitioning of minors, sport and lesbian erasure. Do you you have, um, is it like something like 10,000 people who subscribe? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and do you do do you find any negativity? Like if if you speak about this, do you do you, do you get any trolling or any abuse? Um, yes, I've had personal um, abuse and attacks online, and you know concerted attempts really to try to take us down, take me down personally. But I've just kept going because um, I felt very strongly that we are a liberal democracy, and we have to be able to discuss this as we are today. And I want to thank you so much for enabling this conversation because it's badly needed in this country. Well, uh, what I would like to do now is to get people's thoughts on my conversation with you and also how they feel about the change of society, whether it's going in the right direction or the wrong. I see texts and calls coming in on this. So if anybody wants to follow up with your beliefs and what you do, it's uh, thecountess.ie, am I right? Yes, and we have a YouTube channel called The Countess Conversations and we offer expert webinars 
because our view is that we it's really important to um, provide clinically sound um, and legally sound information so that parents then can make up their own minds on how best to support their children. We have a pamphlet called Empowering Parents. Um, it's written by a psychologist and a barrister um, because, you know, there's, there's a lot of information out there, but a lot of it is from um, essentially lobby groups who, you know, are coming at it from only one aspect. But we, we try and step back and look at it in the round. Okay. Because we, we're all in society together, after all. Okay. And it has to work for everyone. Okay, the contest.ie. Leisha, thanks for taking the call. Feel free to hold on if you wish. You can also respond if you want. I know Kieran just wanted to pick up on a couple of thoughts there and perhaps a couple of comments on my conversation with you. Kieran, good morning. Morning, Neil. Morning, Alicia. Um, thanks for, for taking my call. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I've been listening to what you've been saying and I'm honestly a bit appalled by it. Um, I think that like, if you take away someone's access to public to, to go to use public bathrooms, then you take away their ability to exist in public space. Um, any conversations I've had with transgender people in the past, they're they're constantly anxious and planning where they're going to where they're going to go to the bathroom just mm. because they want to go out for the day. Is this in and Ireland, Cork? Are these conversations you have in our, amongst us? Yeah, this this is in conversations I've had in Cork with uh, some of the trans community okay. here. You're not a member um, of the trans community. No, I'm not. I'm not trans myself. I'm okay. uh, I'm gay, but okay. I'm not trans. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. And um, I suppose. And one so, of what the do they? What do they say that they 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 struggle or they worry or they panic about where they can go to the loo? Is it? Yeah, yeah, and probably more so in the past. Um, but yeah, just trying to plan if they wanted to go out to to a pub with friends or go to a restaurant, um, or or go out shopping. You know, they might think. What? Uh, where's the bathroom that I can use? Do you know? Do I have to worry if I if I have to worry about can I pass for female or pass for male? Um, and I I might not. Uh, will I be called up when I go to, when and, I and go have, to the bathroom? And do you mind me asking? Have they been called up on it in in female bathrooms? Um, I wouldn't be able to say really. I suppose uh, it's it's hard to hard to know. But, okay, um, but they certainly yeah, struggle with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly struggle. Certainly an anxiety, uh, a concern. Say in a um, bathroom or in a changing room, and and then you have yeah. an issue with um with the short jump to paedophilia. Is it? Absolutely. I mean, there's a huge implication from what Alicia's saying that um, that that. Uh, that's transgender no, people no, can I just say Kieran that she didn't bring it up at all I did so like, okay. if, you know okay. if, if you want to pick up on it it was a suggestion and a question that I raised but go ahead also. okay well well, fair enough but I mean I think there is a huge implication there that that uh, trans people are trying to to get to the, into public bathrooms no, because they want no, to, no, to no that wasn't that wasn't the point that was being made even by me and yeah. sometimes I don't make it clearly uh, I was saying would it could it not allow for somebody who is a sex offender or a paedophile, access by pretending. I mean, I suppose it could, yeah, but that was the point. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's it's they can go into bathrooms anyway, and they could go into same-sex bathrooms. You know, they, as much as they can go into opposite-sex bathrooms, and when you go into a public uh, change room in a pool. Um, you'll often get fathers bringing in their young daughters into the men's changing room. You know, so there's there, those uh, people. You have, will, yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember yeah. it back in the and day. Very, fathers very brought common. their daughters into men's changing rooms, and also mothers brought their sons into women's dressing rooms. Exactly, exactly, and that's that's going to continue. 
Do you know? Um, I think the proportion of transgender people in those change rooms is is quite quite small. Okay. So I don't really see. So how you it don't you don't see any you don't see any support at all for um, safe spaces for women. No, I think that is essential. Um, I think women do have their own specific needs as a as a group in society. Um, and um, I think that they, there should be protection for, for women's rights as well as transgender rights. Mm. And I don't think they have to conflict with each other. Okay, I'd love to get more of the public's thoughts on Did you want to respond to that, Leisha, before I let yes, you go? Yes, I, I, I would actually. Um, I just wanted to ask the caller, do you think that um, Darren Moreger, the serial sex offender who accessed the female part of the spa in California I was discussing. I mean, he was emboldened by the self-ID law there, clearly. So you have, you've, you're agreeing with me insofar as it is possible, you said, that uh, predators, paedophiles, whatever you want to say, um, describe them as they will access those spaces. Why wouldn't they if, there, if there's no safeguard? He said that there is the no potential. No, I think he did say that there's a poten- the potential for that to happen. But it, yes, yeah, which is but, good, because yeah. at least we're in agreement on that. Because like, I'm, I, I'm, I, I really am not, and I would really hate to be misinterpreted as saying that, you know, people who identify as trans are, are predators. I, I, that's certainly not what I feel. I just think we have to take a step back and go, wait a minute, what have we done here? We've created this system where, of course, predators will um, use it to access victims. Of course they will. Why wouldn't they? Yes, but at, at the same time, one must be compassionate and supportive to people who aren't serious sex offenders, will never be a sex offender, will never be a paedophile, but want to identify differently. Surely. And, yeah, I'm and maybe just want to go to the bathroom. Or just yes, want to use I mean, the loo. As we speak now, there are um, men who identify as women, one of whom is a paedophile, you know, one of whom is violent, and one of whom is um, a homicidal rapist, all locked up in the women's wing of women's prison. I mean, where's the compassion for those women? Those women are the most vulnerable in society. The gateway to um, incarceration for women, uh, this is according to criminologists worldwide, is male violence. So they've, they've been victims of male violence and now they're locked up with men who identify as women. And that's down to our self-ID laws in this country. Okay, and it's okay. it's unconscionable. It's unconscionable. Okay, just one quick one if you don't mind. Jared, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Um, did you try and engage with Countess.ie? Oh, I've done more than that. I've actually spoken on the phone with Misha, I think, and we've exchanged emails and Twitter DMs. Um, I mean, I'm generally supportive of the work the Countess is doing, but I don't actually understand what it is doing. For example, it, I don't know if you discussed the Red Sea poll that the Countess had commissioned. No. Well, they commissioned the poll, which was very useful, and I had asked them, um, the Countess, what government departments and, and state bodies like the Irish Human Rights Commission they had sent it to in order that I could send FOI requests about it. To okay. see. So a Red Sea poll that wasn't public, is it? Well, the Countess no, says it is public. It, it is there. So why, why, the, the, what, what, did, what was the Red Sea poll about? Oh, I, I can't was, remember uh, the details of Alicia. Okay, I'll, I'll leave Alicia um, speak. It, essentially, we, we ran a poll um, with Red Sea. It was an independent poll. And we wanted to kind of get beyond this language. You know, there's a very fuzzy language used all the time about inclusivity. We wanted to really ask people um, in plain English, beyond all the jargon, you know, how do you feel, um, for instance, about should a man identified as a woman be allowed to give an intimate medical exam? 77% said no, that you should be allowed, you know, um, 
ask for someone of the same biological sex and that gender identity shouldn't trump that. Uh, we asked about single-sex wards. 64% said no, they should remain um, single-sex based on sex, not on gender right, identity. Right. Uh, 62% were in favour of bathrooms remaining um, single-sex based on sex, not gender right. identity. This is uh, obviously in contrast to what your previous question. And this said. was just uh, anybody could respond to this Red Sea poll? Yes. They went out and asked people should women's bathrooms remain only women's bathrooms and men's men's and they should never change. 62 and 64% said yeah, and don't we, change. What we found was, you know, and we were heartened by this, and this is true of polling worldwide, there's lots of polls happening in America, which is actually what um, um, engendered the whole movement Save Women's Sports in America. It was polls initially that gave birth to that movement which is kind of resisting the incursion of, of males into female sports. Or as you would say, the, the eradication of the word mother and women uh, from yeah, general so society. Yeah, okay. Well, what we found when we, with the poll was, you know, far from being um, extremists in any way, our view is the view of uh, the ordinary person on the street, of the public. And I want to get their view in a moment, and I'd be encouraging them to get in touch and to text their thoughts. I might even run a poll myself. But, Jared, are you saying, were you blocked by uh, the Countess.ie? Yeah, that's correct. I, I had been... Let I, I had had a very constructive relationship with the Countess site and I was supportive. But when I asked questions like what, what government departments and organisations was this poll sent to, everything changed. Um, people who had been supportive of me became quite aggressive. And well, why should it matter? It's a Red Sea poll that's up on their website. It doesn't matter what government department was sent to. It's to government departments like the... Minister for Children and for the to the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission would show that there are legitimate concerns about the issues that the Countess site is actually talking about. Okay. It, it would well, be a positive step. Yeah, I think, well, I think it's quite positive that they're talking at all, in fairness. One may not necessarily agree with them, but at least they have a voice. Uh, correct, but they have, they have quite a strong voice, which is why I can't understand why they wouldn't even answer that question if they had sent it to the Minister. All right, OK, well, listen... It was actually sent to every single TD and senator in Ireland. So uh, we do TD? a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, briefly, I'm not going to... To be honest, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time because I don't see the relevance of that. But I think we're going down a rabbit hole, actually. Yeah, with yeah, this. yeah, yeah. Well, so, what's the point of sending that poll to TDs but not to ministers? If it's sent to ministers, it's, it becomes an official document. Just send it, it okay. Did you send it to every minister and TD, Alicia? Yes. Okay, answers the question. Okay, listen, thank you all so much. Thank you to Jared, uh, thank you to Kieran, and to you as well, Alicia, from the Countess.ie. Let me throw it open to everybody else. Your thoughts on the conversation, text 0868104106. Uh, you can also, if you have a story to share, email neil at uh, redfm.ie or pick up the phone on 0818104106. Come back in a moment. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now, 0868104106. Uh, Red. FM. And I want you to text 0868104106. Here's an interesting one straight away. I think there is only male and female, nothing else, full stop. Um, there are many, many different gender identities available now. Agender, um, cisgender, which is uh, a person who had, whose gender identity and biological sex assigned at birth are the same. In other words, for example, they were born biologically as male and expressed their gender as male. So that would be me, cisgender. But then you have gender fluid, a mix of a boy and girl. A person who is gender fluid may always feel like a mix of the two traditional genders, but may feel more man some days and more woman other days. Your thoughts on that, because we are in an ever-changing world where we want to be more and more inclusive, but is everybody on board with regards to that? 
text 0868104106. You may well be, or you might think things have gone mad, gone crazy, moving too fast, whatever the case may be. Certainly the issues in sport have become a very, very sensitive one where you have female athletes now who feel that they are very much disadvantaged in competition uh, with men who transed to women or to female, I should say, uh, and are winning all the gold medals. So text 0868104106 on that. Uh, pick up the phone if you wish, 0818104106, and we'll keep that conversation going. Um, very sad news this morning, lads. For those of you that can remember radio uh, back in the day, way back in the uh, 80s, I broadcast on the likes of uh, ERI and uh, South Coast with The Man And for those of you that can remember The Man I'm very sad to say that he has passed away. Uh, and the news just reached me this morning through Stevie G. Um, there was a post online that said, it is with a sad and heavy heart to say that my mentor, my teacher, my dear friend and brother, Ezekiel, the man Ezekiel, the legend, the Rasta, has passed away peacefully in his sleep uh, on his own land in Freedom Village, St. Catherine, Jamaica. Fly away home to Zion, dread one love. Uh, don't know how... Uh, old Zeke was um, I might be able to sit down and perhaps work it out I don't know whether he was unwell for a long period of time but he passed away peacefully in his sleep in Jamaica overnight and uh, he really was a powerhouse on air and I know he did many many gigs I mean he was certainly on ERI for many years and he was on BBC Radio 1 and stuff like that but I'm um, sad to hear I often thought of him actually as to how he was but I remember him at his best Thank you and welcome to the show. The Man is Zeke. Doing it on the big one. How you all doing? Welcome to the Man is Zeke Sunshine Show. I am the man. Is Zeke. E-Z-E-K-E. That's me. Mm-mm-mm. Are you ready for me, baby? Are you ready for me? Mercy, 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 mercy. We're going to do it so good. We're going to do it for you, baby. Gonna make you feel good all over. Gonna make you say, wow! Gonna make you say, ooh! Gonna make you say, a little song I wrote You might want to sing it note for note Don't worry Be happy In every life we have some trouble But when you worry you make it double Don't worry Be happy Don't worry Be happy now Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. I'd say that would have been his his philosophy in life, the man is Zeke. And then way back in the zero zeros, he was on 96 for many years. And he had a fantastic Saturday night request show that ran for years. It was just fantastic, the man is Zeke. 
who actually was the very first black daytime presenter uh, on uh, BBC Radio 1 way back in the day, but loved Cork and loved playing the pubs and loved playing the clubs and loved being on air. For those of you that remember him, he passed away overnight. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. For those that would think that we're moving too quickly into dangerous ground, uh, they would say it would be about safe spaces for women uh, or the erosion of safe spaces for women. Others, of course, would say that we need to be more gender fluid because not all of us are the same, think the same, regardless of the body that we were born in. Uh, I recently applied for a passport. The forms are very straightforward. They ask, are you male or female? No room for those people who are not sure of either. Text 0868104106 as to whether you think there is more to the world we live in than just being man or woman. There was quite an amount of calls yesterday on scams. People who were asking you to leave out your clothes bags, your recycling clothes or phones or... Uh, laptops or shoes or whatever and they were going to sell them in the Ukraine. Be very careful. Be wide of them. They're scams. Uh, it just does, goes to show how smart these criminals are that they even tell the guardie what day they'll be around to commit the crime. Really smart of them. Yeah, and you never know. Maybe the guards will pick up on them because they're around Cork at the moment pretending to be um, selling them uh, in Ukraine and secondhand shops. It's not true. I live in Carrigaline. I put a bag outside today with this sticker you are talking about labelled Ukraine Appeal. It had my baby clothes, which I no longer needed in it. A guy came at 9am to collect them in a 06D Reg white van. As I was getting into my car, he looked at me, never said anything, no hello, no thank you, took the bag and left. I don't want to come on air as I'm embarrassed that I gave all of my personal baby clothing to a scammer. Thank you. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. New year, new number for Neil. 0818-104-106. Recycling scams claiming to be sending it to Ukraine. Speaking of people taking those bags, it reminds me of a time going back a good 10 years now. My washing machine broke down. The kid's nanny was all the way down in Mallow, bless her, and she took all my washing and had her husband, who works early mornings in Cork, drop it all back. So, not wanting to wake us, she left it in the porch, and mind you, it was a cul-de-sac. To get into the porch at the time of the morning, you had to squeeze yourself between about four cars. So, anyway, we got up, looking forward to a bag of clean jocks and socks, clean bed sheets and baby bits, but no bag. We texted her. And she says, it was definitely brought up. It was left there. Then the penny dropped. One of the clothes collectors. Mind you, there was no sticker on the bag, nothing. But I found a number and rang it. It was a dud number. I hope if they turned all of those wonderful clothes into rags, as you suggest, some good factory got my best pair of socks to wipe down their oily machines. There are clothes banks everywhere. So for people that don't want to donate their clothes, that want to donate their clothes, I recommend use the clothes banks instead of those scammers who make money from people's good intentions. Thank you for that text, 0868-104-106. Back to the phone lines if we go, because we've been asking all week, you have an opportunity in the census to put a little message in that will be read, you know, write it down on the census form that will be read in 100 years' time. Um, and I'm asking people what they'll put down as messages. Um, and I've got some great calls off it, happy and indeed sad and poignant. Uh, Brian, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. So, so for you, uh, your message in the census will be all about your son, your late son, 
and your late wife, isn't that right? Yes, 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 yes. yes. I, I can remember uh, a few years ago, uh, in the last census when it came out, uh, my wife commented at the time my wife passed in 2013, uh, he was sick, and I remember my wife commenting that there was no space on the farm to mention that he wasn't in the house anymore. You know, they asked on the evening yeah. who was in the house. Yeah. And yeah. he wasn't there anymore, and... Then and, and that hit her hard. That hit her hard. It was, yeah, she, she, she was annoyed about it, I think, more than anything, that, you know, that he was forgotten about in the sense that there was no... They asked how many was in the house on the evening, and he wasn't there, and she would have liked to put that down on the farm. And then when I heard the form came out that you had a little time capsule at the end. Yeah. Uh, I, as I say, and I saw the post coming up and straight away I thought of what she had said then. And I would put down about my wife and son. So, you know, like everything else that they're not forgotten. And, uh, and, and the last census would have been before. 2016, was it? I think there. Yeah, it was after, like my, my son passed in 2013. Uh, so it was after that. I wouldn't know yeah. exactly. You're probably right, Neil. You're and right. the year after that then, your wife passed. She passed suddenly. Uh, she she got sick and she passed. She got sick and she she died over two days. She got, she died from peritonitis. It happened very quickly. Uh, my little one was two, uh, just before she started school. And as I say, she she's seven now, uh, but she died suddenly. So as I say, as soon as the the phone came out, I said, you know, that's what I'll do. Yeah. I'll Have you up. thought about what you will say? I haven't really. I, it's something like I know they say you can't fill out the form until the evening. Uh, so it's something that I would kind of spend when the kids are in bed that evening. I I spend a bit of time then thinking about it. I I go through the motions of filling in the form as, as it is. Yes, but I give a bit of time to the end about it. You know, my my son was an organ donor, Neil. Yeah, uh, I, I, I so do recall. I do recall the sad story some years back. Yeah, we, 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 was, we were due to speak a few years ago, but it, it was kind of too soon. For, too hard for like, you, little, donor, yeah, little Ben, or, little Ben. Tell us a little bit about him. Uh. How long have we got, Neil? Uh, he was six, he, wasn't he, when he passed away? He but died when he was six. It, it started off, he was two and a half in 2010. He basically had a stroke. That's, that's basically, that's the easiest way of saying it. He had little tumours in his, in, his, in his head. Little, they're called cavernomas, they're blood tumours, and basically one of the brainstem had played, and he basically had a stroke. Uh, so uh, he went, we, we started off in the CUH, we went up, because you would notice that he was limping and his, one of his hands well, it, it, it wasn't working. Over. It was a slow stroke. It was a slow bleed, basically. We noticed first there was a limp. He had an, yeah. kind of, we, uh, and then his, basically his hand, this was over two days, Neil, his kind of hand started to drop and we went to the GP and he said, look, we think it's a hip infection and it's kind of spreading to the hand. It's kind of, that's basically it. So we were sent to the COH for uh, a, 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 a scan, basically a blood test to see was it viral or... or, or uh, or uh, what's the word? The word. So basically, to see was it for? Yeah, and, yeah. He's only two and a half and years old. Where, where, where are you living? Where Where was home? We were sorry. We're, we're from Carrigaline. Right. We're from Carrigaline. Yeah, okay, yeah. So we're living there since two thousand. We live. We moved in nineteen ninety nine. We got married in Carrigaline in two thousand, and we've been living there since. So he would have gone then from CUH, I believe, to Temple Street, wouldn't he? Basically, what happened is he was up there. They were checking him out, and we knew within a couple of minutes that things were not great. Uh, they various doctors came in, checked them out and we were brought into the parents room about two hours after an MRI, but two hours later basically they said, look, he'd had a stroke, one of the blood uh, vessels on his brain had played. Uh, on his, it was actually the one on his brain that had played. Right. So we were sent to Temple Street. Uh, uh, they checked them out. Basically, the surgeon at the time, the neurosurgeon said, look, uh, the bleeding has stopped. 
I'd not, I'd prefer not to operate because it's on his brain stem. He said the, the chances of, of really affecting his life uh, are greater. Uh, if than, he did, than, yeah. Than, so basically he said, look, it's stopped, it's stable. We're just going to let basically, uh, just see how it recovers. Right. So um, we were sent home. He stopped at physio with an able and about, I'd say within a couple of months, he was nearly back to normal. They had said to us at the time that having a stroke that young was the best thing to happen to him because your body is still developing. Yeah. yeah. Now, he had some limitations as regards running, you could see, but as I say, he was fine. And uh, about a year later, nearly to the day, we noticed he was still getting a bit sluggish, so back to the COH, back to Temple Street, and they said basically he had another little bleed, and he said, look, the blood vessel had got very big, and the surgeon said at the time, look, he said, you're probably, be- I leave it up to you, but you're probably better off operating that if he has a massive bleed, it will be catastrophic. So he had surgery in Tempest Street. Uh, to remove it, the surgery was for six hours. That was a long day. And as I say, we were home, came out, we were home two weeks later, and he started the recovery. When we left, we were told he would be prone to seizures. Yeah. Uh, uh, we went through the whole, we actually saw, we went back to the CUH for a few days, and then they said, look, He's better off at home. He's a young child. At this stage, he was three, three and a half. So, so better off at home. So, But they said he would be prone to seizures, and he never had a, a, a seizure. And then on the 7th of October, 2013, he, we, we, he got started to vomit when we was going to bed or whatever, and he had a massive seizure. Maybe. He did. Yeah, his he temperature said, had uh, gone crazy as well. Yeah, he he, was... like it took an hour. The temperature went up to 40, I think it was 42, 40, 43. It went up to... Uh, the ambulance arrived after an hour. He was taken to CUH. Uh, he was taken to Crumlin uh, after that. They gave him so much anti-seizure medicine. Seizure lasted for an hour and 40 minutes now. And they gave him so much medicine uh, that it, it, they said it could have damaged his liver. So he was sent to Crumlin uh, and his liver started to get worse. So basically overnight then we were transferred to King's College in London. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. And was it in King's College then where he was induced into a coma and they did... No, he, they, no. the only way they could stop the seizure it was in the COH was put him into a coma. They tried so much medicine to stop it and nothing was working and then they put him into a coma and basically the seizure then was stable after that. But when, so did they, when were they alerting you about lack of brain activity I, I mean I, I hate even asking we, the question we, 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 we spoke in, in Crumlin to a neurologist and he said look he had a seizure for an hour and 40 minutes but there's brain activity there it seems okay he says he hasn't woken up yet uh, I, I, we think that he could be okay we'll have to see when he wakes up and then uh, I think 10 minutes after that we saw the hepatologist and he said look his liver is getting worse and worse and worse uh, we can't we don't do he basically said he needed a transplant he said, we don't do paediatric liver transplants in Ireland. Yeah. He has to go to King's College. So and that's what happened went, next. Yeah. Well, he went on a medical flight. We went over in Ryanair. We got there about half three in the morning. And for a couple of days, he was over there. He was on all probes and everything. And uh, so basically, uh, his liver, believe it or not, after two or three days over, started to recover. Uh, and I remember one morning, we went to the hospital. We were kind of staying at the bed all night. And some night, they said, go get out. You need to get some rest. So we came in one morning, and everyone was smiling. Now, he was still in a coma at this stage. He was being kept in a coma, but his liver started to recover. They said it was virtually back to normal. Uh, and then they, they, he was kept in the coma by sedation, and that night then they started to eat off the sedation, and I think about two in the morning, he started the seize again when he started to wake up. And they basically put a monitor in his head, and for two days after that, he was just basically monitored. We couldn't touch, we couldn't talk to him. Uh, and then basically they did a, a CAT scan, I think, or whatever, and they said that... ECG. Uh, 
Good ECG, my apologies. And no, that that there was no brain activity there, and that was it. And as I say, the, the organ donation came up then, and he donated his organs over. We've kept alive for another 24 hours so they could match him. Uh, and that's basically it. So that happened in 2013. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, we kept together. We had, so you had, you had the, the I remember at the time, had the conversation with the hospital about literally turning off his ventilator. Well, yeah, his well, that was basically it. I remember when they told us we went back to the ward. I got a priest to do last right and was to say he was kept alive for 24 hours until they, they basically matched his organ. Uh, he donated five organs. Uh, and as I say, I have letters still at home from, 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 from the people who received his organs. Sure, I know. Uh, and you said at the time, because of Ben, five people are leading better lives. Well, and, that, and that's basically leading better lives. People say that they're alive. I don't say that. I say they're leading better lives. That's basically And we, we haven't had contact for a few years. That That's fine. As I say, we got contact at the time and that, that was that was good enough for us, you know, to, to say that. We, we know because it was four children and one adult he helped, you know. How did you exist as a, as, a, as a mother and a father after that? We had to kneel. We had no choice. We had an 11 year old. We had to look after her, you know. Uh, she was she was our focus then. I mean, we we never forgot then. I did a lot of things around that, that around the time through organ donation. We appeared in the music video, uh, called "Unintentional Hero" through organ donation. Uh, but you have to. You, we we, we it, it brought us together as a family, made us a lot stronger. We we kept ourselves to ourselves, you know. Uh, but as I say, we're an eleven year old girl who has had a rough few years now. She's nineteen you now. She's going to college. She's flying, absolutely flying. But. We had to do it for her. We had to keep ourselves together for her, you know. And then, shortly afterwards, of course, not even two years later, m- yeah. m- more tragedy and loss. Yeah, my wife got, she, she felt ill on a Thursday evening, uh, stomach pains, and she she said they were part of the same as we, we, when we came back from London at the time. She said this, this, they felt exactly the same as then, as that. And so for about a day and a half, uh, she was still her, she had really bad pain and I think on the Saturday morning she sent me to get painkillers and ring South Dock to see where they open and ring her GP see if was there and I went down to the village in Carglin to get painkillers and when I went down there uh, I got a screaming phone call from my daughter to say mum has collapsed in the landing collapsed on the landing yeah she 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 uh, she, she had gone up I think to go to the toilet and, and she was over and then as I said she was going and I ran back to my little you're just breaking up a bit on me there, Brian. Just move around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I had my two-year-old with me at the time. Uh, we were in the village getting the painkillers, and as I say, I ran back the road, ringing people to say, get an ambulance and stuff like that. And I was picked up by a neighbour on the way back, said uh, she, she's collapsed. And so I got back to the house. My two-year-old was taken by a neighbour. My 11-year-old, was, or she was 15 at the time, was up in a neighbour's house, and uh, I was basically stopped from going in because the paramedic but did Alma die, did she die at home she died at home yeah she died and they came back after she died from peritonitis that's basically it we've never even heard of it before that you know complaining of a complaining well. of a pain in her stomach in her stomach yeah she had a she had an ulcer basically that got infected a duodenal ulcer I think it's called and to say we'd never even heard of it before. But you, you must have thought this isn't real. This can't be happening. It, 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 it was shock for a while. I can remember my sister saying to me a couple of years previous that you know the worst has happened. What could have happened? And I remember saying that look, the worst has happened, but that doesn't mean it can't happen again. And, and it did, Neil. As I say, but again like that, uh, I just carried on what my wife was doing. My it was a couple of days before my two-year-old was due to start preschool. She was actually three weeks after she was turned three about three weeks after my wife passed and uh, so we, I bought her to preschool uh, I just kept going 
going, basically doing everything my wife was doing, and, and that's where we are now. You know, uh, my little girl now is in the Wales Golden Caravan, she's seven, absolutely flying, and my 19 year old is in college. But I said, I won't be able to put that all down in, in, in the, in the census form, Neil. I'm going to have to shorten it all of it. But I, 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 what I told you there, now, I, I was going to talk to you a couple of years ago about Ben, as I said, but it, it, was, it was too soon uh, for us. But I would hope in 100 years people will read this and go, oh. Well, in a hundred years' time, um, yes. anybody can read it, but certainly your descendants will read all about it. Your, and that's what your grandchildren, your great grandchildren. Yes, and and that's 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 what I hope for. Let's be honest. I mean, uh, they always say they're not forgotten, but people move on, and that's fine. I understand that, but they'll never be forgotten here. But as I say, I won't be around forever. Yeah. Uh, and as I say, as you say, my grandkids, their kids, whatever, will will know all about Ben and they'll know all about his mum. And that's what I want. And, a, I want. and it's a very respectful thing to allow in the census, isn't it? For I, I, I thought I thought it was so. Whoever thought it up, I think it's a great, great idea. You know, as I say, it, it, it's the whole point about not forget, not forgetting and remembering. And Is there that, much space when, for it there? Do you know? I, that's what I'm saying. I'll have to shorten it down, Neil. I'll have to shorten it down. But my my big thing, and my wife Elma always said it: the one thing. And any parent who's lost a child will tell you this. The biggest thing is that you don't want them forgotten. And a lot of parents, I, 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 it's, it's unfortunate, that's the circle I'm in now. I know a lot of parents who've lost children. And a lot of them do things as regards raising money and, and to keep the sons or their daughter's name alive. Yes, I know. I, aren't, well, like ben, I obviously, Ben has done the organ donation, that's what he did. And aren't we coming up to Organ Donor Awareness Week soon, or am I wrong about that? I, I don't know, Neil, I'm yeah, not in that. It's usually around March 28th to the 4th of April with the Irish Kidney Association. It's around then, I think, you know. Yeah, I, I, we, I've done a few things for about a year or two after. But as I say, unfortunately, there, there's kids all the time. I know of so many kids who are organ donors now, who have, sorry, who have been organ donors. Uh, it happens every year, Neil. I mean, they, 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 so when you hear about kids having a stroke, you don't think that it happens. But about kids being organ, organ donors, it does happen. Yeah. We did a video... Uh, made a music video on Intentional Hero, a gentleman in Bantry called Paracorn, who's lost his friend, like, uh, and he made, and there was a couple of kids on that. Yeah, yeah. Who were all the donors, you know? As so in they had re- they had received or given? No, they, had, they were organ donors themselves. Passed away and gave organs themselves. They passed away and gave organs. I mean, it's a hard thing. I, I, I won't like it. We, we actually this, we actually spoke as soon as they told us about Ben a couple of hours after we were talking well, not even a couple of hours not long after myself and my wife I, I remember saying to her they're going to ask us about organ donation and it wasn't a hard decision for us Neil yeah. because we went to England because Neil or sorry uh, Ben there was a chance that Ben needed a new liver and you were going to be looking for an organ potentially we were, so why we wouldn't you want to give time. yeah there's going to be somebody we, we, he would have never got a full liver he would have probably got a partial bit of an adult liver but there was somebody going to die. And did the for, did for the people who who received Ben's organs do they get in touch then? No, not anymore, Neil. Not right, anymore. Right. Got letters at the time, and we 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 got uh, we got a notification from the hospital who they were. Uh, and I have all those letters, but no, not anymore, Neil. I'd be honest. People have moved on. That's fine. That's, that's, yeah, they that's, may have moved on, but do you ever feel that you would like to meet some of them or one of no, them? No, no, no. But okay. they would all be in England anyway, Neil. Because he donated in England, he was yeah. in King's College when he died. So no, I, 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 I don't think about it anymore, Neil. But how do you, you stay know? positive, knowing that your son, your wife, clearly, obviously, was a tragedy, absolutely. Yeah. But that yeah. your son, at only six, with so much to live for, was denied yes. that. How do you process that? 
I, I have to leave because the only the, the one, people ask me, how do I keep going? And they say, you're a great dad, you're a great father. I'm not. I continued what my wife was doing. But I have two girls. And that's, that's my focus. I, it's not that I don't think about Ben and I don't think about Alma. I do all the time. Yeah. Constantly. But I have two focuses. I have a happy seven-year-old. She's absolutely flying in school. And I have a 19-year-old who has been through hell. She lost her brother at 11. She lost her mum at 15. Not long after her mum passed, she did her junior cert and she did it fantastically well. Uh, people have been so good to us, Neil, as well. I, 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 again, people say that. But like the people of Carrigaline have just been... I don't know people look at me and they kind of, they probably take pity on me or whatever. And then they talk to me and they say, oh, he's quite normal. I was at a birthday party on Sunday in, in, in Little Island with my seven-year-old for her class. And I talk away to parents. They, they see you're not going to be a quivering wreck, but I have to be for... I can remember Ben... Uh, I can remember Elma, and I have two girls to focus on, you know. And as I say, Lucy doesn't remember her mum that much. She still talks, we still talk about them, you know. It mm. does, it does not pictures all over the house, but like, she was just two, just turning three when I I know, I know. Two, two. And as I say, she, she went to school, she went to preschool, she's been going to school in Carolina, this is her third year, and she's absolutely loving it. And they're my focus, that's it, that's all I think about. I think of, I, I tell you, that's all I, 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 I exist for, basically, if you know what I mean. To make sure they're fine. Yeah. To make sure they're okay. And they're, they're doing okay, you know? Yeah, two great girls. But I have, yeah, I have to say, girls. I think... You're an incredible individual. You may not see it, but you I'm just you blow me away. I think you're incredible. I, I took over from my wife, Neil. That's what I did. No, it's an awful lot more than you that. You mean your quietest you, moments? It must be difficult. You know, it's got to be. It is difficult. I'd be on the yeah. As I say, I, I don't have many quiet moments, Neil. That's the thing. I, I, I work know. mornings and I pick up my little one from school in the afternoon and then you're doing stuff all day. My eldest daughter is working as well. So there, there's always something to be done. There's not much, there's not much downtime. I know. There's all, as you know, as a parent, there's always something to do. Well, listen, you, all kind of, for, you do it because of family because that's the most you important word in the, in the English language family yeah you have kids for a reason yeah to make sure they excel in life and they have the, hopefully for as good sure. life as you have yeah. and chances that you had you know yeah yeah. and that's, and that's what it, I'm so you know? delighted that we did eventually catch up Ben it took a few Brian. years Neil Brian. it took a few years but we finally got there you know? that is, uh, this helps me now as well I got a chance to talk about Ben and I got a chance to talk about Alma two wonderful people and as I say I have two wonderful now at home that my wife gave me uh, and as I say, uh, we'd keep going with them. But as you say, it is nice finally to talk to you. It you know? certainly is, Brian. And also, it's lovely to hear that you will have an opportunity to remember them, to honour them, and allow generations of your family in a hundred years' time to I know about I, Ben, to know I'll about him. I'll have to be a lot more concise than I am. I here. know, but listen, I'm delighted but we did get, get a chance. Done. Thank you so exactly. much for taking the call. No problem. I love you to talk to you. Now. You too. Take care, Brian. Okay. Thank Take you. care, Bye-bye. Brian Canty. Text 0868104106. An incredibly powerful story. Wonderful dad. Neil's got a new number. Call him now on 0818104106. And a lot of texts coming in from uh, the cost of fuel and the cost of petrol and diesel and liquid petroleum gas and all sorts of stuff like that and everything off the West Coast down around Kinsale and Barry Row. There's like a billion barrels of the stuff there and we just don't seem to want it. Let this be a warning to us regarding the Greens. Never has such suffering been caused by a party with such little, little support, says Richie. And then there's an interesting one from Rob, who listens in Canberra, Australia. He says, G'day, Neil. Worked on the Northwest Shelf in Western Australia as a surveyor 40 years ago. Uh, that region is now just behind Qatar for liquid petroleum gas, natural gas exports. 
but it took nearly 20 years to bring it online after feasibility, infrastructure, etc. 20 years. Unfortunately, even with Barry Rowe, Ireland has missed the boat to develop those reserves off the southwest coast, not to mention the lack of money in the world now to develop it as a fuel project, says Rob in Canberra. Barney, on the topic of the gas field off the west coast, the government will probably sell the rights to the gas field and the oil field to cover the bar tab and Doyle Aaron. No point blaming the government for our plight. If we keep voting the same crowd again and again, then we will always get the same result. And a final one, in answer to your question about who owns the oil and gas, it's the German banks that walked the Irish people into a false building boom. The billions owed to them will be repaid by taking our natural resources. They are already decimating our fishing grounds. Leave the oil in the sea. All right. And uh, are we looking at another increase? They came down a little bit petrol and diesel, but are they bound to go up again? I'd be inclined to think so. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. A mad key to chat with Rodrigo. Rodrigo, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Can I ask you a question just straight away? You at one mm-hmm. stage in your life were brain dead for five minutes. You were tech, you yeah. were tech, so you were technically dead, not brain dead, but you were technically dead. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they threw it nine, uh, five minutes, 90 seconds. So that five <laughs> never, minutes and, and, and whatever seconds, did you experience anything when you were clinically dead? Listen, I didn't see the lights outside you know but uh, what i can say that when i came back i never felt so many peace in my life like i'm not a religious person i don't go to the church but i trust a lot in jesus christ okay you know but uh, so there was like, no bright light there was no tunnel you weren't looking down on your own body from the ceiling nothing no i didn't see anything like that maybe it was a part of her there but it was uh, over for me, you know. Yeah. No, it's just curious. It's a question I would always ask somebody who was clinically dead for nearly six minutes. Yeah. What was yeah, that the like? Doctors, yeah, the doctors, the doctors say that uh, this piece that I was feeling or these sensations, because when you die, your, your body uh, uh, releases many hormones, you know. Science tries to explain one thing, like I spiritual, I prefer to think that's a god hand, you know. Okay, but the doctors were saying it was medical, that the release of hormones when you were clinically dead made you yeah, feel because, incredibly peaceful when you came back. Yeah, because your body, when you die or something happens, like uh, you release the endorphin, your body fight to to take you alive and because these many hormones working this is what science say you know and have you since that happened on the operating theater having survived brain cancer three times and being clinically dead for nearly six months have you always felt better since then yeah like more um, peaceful yeah exactly like uh, for example what i can say that cancer saved my life you know because after cancer i could see the life in another perspective. Sometimes for what uh, it's important for normal people, for me is nothing, you know, because I can see that uh, here you have nothing, just the friends that we do. Yeah. When you die, it's over. Yeah, yeah. And having died and come back, you regard it as being a blessing to use your time better. Did all this happen in Brazil? Yeah, because like... Uh, 
this this happened the last time when I was in Brazil because after too much chemotherapies and hydrotherapy, I developed a sickness. The name I don't know properly in English, but it's like a big heart syndrome when your heart start uh, growing. You know, uh, because this happened three years ago. Because after too much chemo, radio surgeries, my heart starts growing up and I need to go to the, the hospital to put a bypass and yeah. do a stem cell treatment, you yeah. know. Yeah. And when I was in surgery table, I had an embolism. An embolism, this, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And this, like, uh, you can stop the heart. Like, uh, if you go, if the, the bubble go to the heart too Bang. long. You're finished. Yeah, you finish. But in my case, that embolism go to the brain and these do a stroke, you know. But you, you did recover, left Brazil, traveled the world, working for the likes of Nike and Armani and Adidas in, in textile engineering, whatever. You, and ended and came to Cork, was it? Yeah, exactly. Because, for example, after my second time and on cancer, when they, I had a metastasis and the doctor said that I was, I was a terminal cancer and I would die in 13 months, I, I thought, like I said, I, I, I cried for 20 minutes and said to the doctor, okay, what we can do now? They said to me, listen, Rodrigo, we can, do, we can give you a morphine, we can try to do chemo for like you feel better. And uh, I said, oh, okay, no problem. But I started looking for another doctors and had one doctor in Brazil. The name is Paulo Hof. He's top one oncologist in Brazil and they consider it top five in the world. But did he send That's you to top. America then, is it? No, no, no. This, this was in Brazil because Brazil is a reference for cancer in the world. Okay. You know, and, and okay. Cancer treatment. Did he fix and, you uh, then? Tell me again. Did he fix you? Yeah, exactly. Because this doctor said to me, oh, Rodrigo, the diagnostic from the another doctors is right. But that time, 10, 11 years ago, stem cells was starting, you know. So you not got like stem today. cell treatment. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And the doctor said, if you cannot cure you, you have 2% that this treatment work. But if we cannot cure you, we can put a higher expectation in your life, 7% more. I thought, oh, 13 months plus 70%, it's two years in the house. And after that, I go to the hospital, go keep treating, 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 treating. After almost one year, they said to me, Rodrigo, the, the, the stem cells, the seeds of stem cells grow, and you are in remission now. Because remission don't mean that you are cured. No, because I know it that, came back again sometime later, yeah. did it stage four? Another exactly. parts of the body, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And the doctor said, okay, you are in remission. I know all American continent, Asia, but I never been in Europe. And one friend living in Dublin, and he said to me, why don't come in here? And I choose to have a sabbatical year to, just for me. I never expect to, to keep living in Ireland. But when I arrived in Dublin, I didn't like too much. I had a friend that was here. And we came here, and uh, I... You liked Cork better, is it? Yeah, oh my God, Cork is the best place in the world. So what did you do when you came here first? Like, when I arrived here, my English was not very good, and I was working as a kitchen porter, you know, in 
in some hotel and it was good for me for for me learn more english one day i was dropping out the beanbag and the beanbag exploded and i thought oh jesus i'm a phd engineer i don't need it and here at that time didn't have too much schools of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, that is the martial art I practice, and I thought, I will start that. So you opened a Jiu-Jitsu school in Cork then? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now we are eight years here, like teaching. (laughs) And and I start with two girls, and after growing, 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 the studio that I was, I rent in the... I rent in the hotel that I was working to teach, but the the, the class is getting bigger, bigger, <laughs> bigger. I need to change. I change. I moved to Watercourse Roads. That's a huge place now. And now there, I made the first person represent Ireland to be a world champion. <laughs> and now he's two times world champion, seven times European champion. He has 100 gold medals, you know, plus another student that uh, all competitions. Our our group is not too big, but uh, but we are very good in what we do. For Great example, story, like, though. It's a superb story. Yeah, like the last competition in Cork, the beginning of this month, we were 17 students and 16 was in the podium, you know. Especially babies, because my focus is to teach more kids, because they have more focus to training, you know. The youngest is two years and a half. <laughs> the oldest student is almost 70. <laughs> wow, my grandpa's is dangerous. Uh, did, you, did you settle down, fall in love, anything like that? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> I can tell you that uh, jiu-jitsu... Uh, because the philosophy of jiu-jitsu, you know, like uh, uh, if you are on the ground being smashed, being tough time, that uh, in few seconds you can change everything and submit your opponent. This is like in the life. Nothing will smash you more than life. But if you keep calm, keep focus, you can leave that uh, bad situation and be better, you know. Did you, did you say nothing can mess with you more than life? Oh yeah, no, no. Look, like I was, re- I was listening. I was listening the the guy that was talking before. You can see nothing can hurt. Then you lose someone, yeah, or or cancer, or because everybody say to me that, oh, you are example, you are a hero to beat a cancer. I'm not a hero. I'm the person that do what is necessary to do. Like uh, if you sit down in your bed and cry. It will not change your situation. I know. Try to smile. Try to to make the someone else lives better. Listen, it's a great story. I'm so happy that you got an opportunity to share it. Do you miss Brazil? Do you miss the food? I mean, is it possible to get Brazilian food on Lee side? I mean, yeah, like uh, unfortunately, Ireland don't have a food like Brazil. You no. Know, like, what do we do? What like what's better about your food? Oh, barbecue. That is, um, we barbecue. We barbecue if we get a sunny day. No, yeah, but look, what is an Irish barbecue? <laughs> Hamburger and sausage. <laughs> Brazil, it's a huge piece of meat. <laughs> <laughs> and especially the meat in Brazil, 
is much more cheaper than Ireland. Yeah, but is it as tasty though? <laughs> <laughs> And there a, there's a Brazilian. It wasn't there a Brazilian restaurant on Washington Street. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, sabor nordestino. If you wanna feel in what means Brazil and our culture, it's necessary you go there. That is amazing. You know? I'm gonna check it out. Oh yeah, you really need. To listen, if you eat that, you say, look, you need to ask there for double barbecue. They serve to you in the huge plate, salad, rice. Because here, like barbecue here, it's just a meat. In Brazil, it's salad, rice. Uh, it's <laughs> like it's, we celebrate to, to eat. I think because this Brazilian is very happy because always our belly is full. Uh, yeah, well, I'm there with a knife and fork in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, listen, look after yourself. Great to chat. <laughs> Thank you so much. Take care for your positivity and your optimism. Thank you for raising our spirits, Rodrigo. Look after yourself. Cheers, my man. Thank you. See you. Bye-bye. That's Rodrigo Boroski. I'll give you details of where you can get in touch with him if you want to be part of his uh, uh, writer's jiu-jitsu school in Blackpool. Back after the break. Calling Red FM Studio? Call the new number. 0818-104-106. You betcha, Rodrigo, talking about Brazilian food, and I'm looking for the best chipper chips. I've got an awful lot more of them. I'll come back to that tomorrow, I'd say. Um, if you want to get in touch, actually, just remember the word Riders. R-I-D-E-R-S. Riders Jiu-Jitsu School. Dot com uh, online is www.ridersjj.com. They're also on Facebook uh, if you want to. And he says there's students there from age two to 74. But his story is the one that intrigued me. Okay, back to the phone lines to squeeze in as much as I can before we go. Bernie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, thank you for holding. Thanks for the text. Uh, we're just going back to a conversation I had earlier on with Leisha from the Countess.ie with regards to um, just being wary uh, that the, uh, the rights and I think she was making one of the points in particular with regards to um, uh, fairness in sport and the transitioning of minors and also safe spaces for women in this changing society. There were some of the aspects I spoke to her about. So did you want to pick up on some of that? Um, Yes. Uh, Firstly, I would say that the Countess is named after Constance Markovic. That's right. I didn't say that at the time. You're spot on. It is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But Countess Markovic stood with the most marginalised and downtrodden people in our society. She spent her life fighting for the downtrodden and marginalised. Her sister, Eva Gorbuth, wrote extensively on what today we would call LGBT issues. So to suggest that Countess Markovic would have anything to do with transphobia or anti-trans bigotry is ridiculous. Do you think that Countess Markovic... Sorry, to name an organisation which campaigns against the rights of trans people, against a campaigner, for a campaigner who fought against discrimination and marginalisation. So do you think, to say the least, that she'd be, to say the least, upset that her picture would be used? I can't say what Countess Markovic would think. Uh, Nobody can say what Countess Markovic would think. But I do think it's some serious appropriation to take her picture and claim that she would support what you're doing. That's an excellent point. And and 
because of me I didn't make that point at the time I didn't see the connection but you did and, and thank you for it mm-hmm. but do you do you not think that they have a right to speak on behalf of people who use the word woman or or mother or you know to be born female that they have a right to be heard though everybody has a right to speak we live in a democracy they don't speak on behalf of me I'm a woman I'm a mother so to claim they speak on behalf of all women is ridiculous. Okay. We're all different. Yeah. Women are as different as people are different. And we all have different opinions. Yeah. yeah. Do, do they make any valid point when it comes to safe spaces, I wonder? You know, I mean, well, bringing this, I'm bringing this down to, to, to brass tacks okay. here, toilets or just, changing rooms. Just, yeah, toilets is, is the red herring that transphobes tend to throw out all the time. I said I'm a mother. I am. I have a 17-year-old daughter and she prefers what she calls a single-sex toilet. She doesn't want to share toilets with boys. But she has no problem whatsoever sharing with trans girls her own age. No problem at all. Why would she? When you say trans girls, of course, for everybody's uh, uh, understanding, this would have been somebody who would have been born biologically male but transed female no this is somebody who would have been assigned male at birth the, the words we thank you okay I'm that. learning all of the time so as, thank you for that assigned male at birth that's right yeah uh, people are assigned a certain gender at birth based on the physical appearance of their genitals which may not match with how they feel mm. it may not match with their gender identity mm. and we call somebody like me was quite happy with the gender I was assigned at birth and yourself as you mentioned earlier you're quite happy to have been assigned male at birth we call those cis people cis people who aren't are non-binary or trans and there has to be room for all of us there really has to be room for all of us and we have to respect each other now the countess group actually denies that trans people exist no they never said that to me and I, I, I did read as much as I could I didn't see that anywhere well, she actually said it, sorry, Leisha, Leisha Hayes actually said it on your show today, that she didn't think transgender was actually a thing. It is a thing. It has always existed. Trans people have always existed. And people who have been discriminating and unkind and cruel to trans people have always existed too. Thankfully, our society is growing out of that. That's an Slowly excellent point and let me just bring up, pick up on that point because a lot of the texts that I'm seeing coming in to 0868104106 don't want change. They, they want things to be the status quo to remain. Is that a generational thing that, that really to somebody say of my age or somebody older, it's none of our business anymore. This is young people's decisions to be made by them as to how society evolves now. That we have handed over the mantle of responsibility on this topic. Um, I'll be 61 in a few weeks, so I'm not so sure about the generational thing. But you did hit the nail on the head to a certain degree when you said it's none of our business. And really, it isn't any of our business. The contents of somebody else's underwear are none of my concern. And respectfully, they're none of yours either. Mm, mm. Let people alone and let them get on with their lives. Mm, mm. 
Love to get more conversations on this. Thank you for taking the time to chat. Appreciate it, Bernie. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. And that started by text to 0868104106. If you want to get involved in any of the conversations, please do so, whether it's by text. And uh, happy to bring you on the air if you wish to do so as well. If you have a story to share, and people do share stories like this and others, by email to neil at redfm.ie. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number, 0818-104-106. All right, time to go. Um, oh, listen, Charles and Camilla are landing at Cork Airport. There's a whole load of guards up there to make sure that everything's safe for them, but apparently they have landed or are about to land or disembark at Cork Airport. Charles and Camilla, they're heading, probably going to head down around Waterford. Don't they have a buddy down there with the castle, I think, in Lismore Castle? So they're probably down for a chinwag, Charles and Camilla. But they must be blown away. They walk out of the plane and onto the tarmac and come down the hill, they must think, my God, this weather is just incredible. They must think, are we actually... Maybe st- they brought it with them. Yeah, but what, <laughs> what do you think they're thinking? Did we actually go to the Caribbean? They love Cork, though, don't I they? I know what they're saying. Is this Spain? <laughs> do you think, is it that warm? Yeah, by comparison to probably where they've come from. I, I suppose, know. yeah. Well, but Cork is always lovely anyway. They'll be saying, Mammy was right when she spoke about <laughs> Cork, so brilliant. We need to go see this Pat O'Connell guy. I'd English. say, oh, I wonder they're going to head into Pat. I know they're going to Tipperary, Waterford and South Tip, I think, actually. And they'll be back here again Friday, flying back out no, no, to Cork. Oil watcher, are you? No, I just um, have a piece of coffee on it. I'm in the just in the newsroom. I, oh, really? I'm sorry. Did I beat you to it? No, you're all right. All right I'll, I'll sh- let you have that okay. one. Okay, <laughs> I'll shut you my mouth and then we'll talk again in the morning. Have a good Cheers. day. I'll see you tomorrow, guys. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.